Car Podcast this week. It's yet another triple threat as we welcome three guests of such lethal cunning. First up, Jakey G himself, Jake Gyllenhaal, star of The Guilty. Then we show a rude picture to James Marsden, star of The Boss Baby 2, and he loves it, the dirty beggar. And because, at long last, oh no, Dune is here. Yes! <laughs> The sleeper has awakened. <laughs> we take part in the Zoom Jabbar with Rebecca Ferguson. All that and usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is thinking of going to the Batman-inspired restaurant that's opened up in London, but wonders why they called it Park Row and not say, dinner, 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 <laughs> dinner, Batman. Or Got Ham? Yes, and we also have other meats as well. That's catchy. Right. But they went for Parker, mm. which I know is mm. a Batman thing. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Opera Podcast. We are back in the studio once again, despite public health advice. <laughs> we, or maybe because of it, who knows? And we're here. And once again, I'm joined by my three colleagues. That's right, three. After Jim Cummings slid so wonderfully into the revolving fourth chair last week, we thought, you know what? We can now cram a fourth body, a fourth pair of buttocks into the revolving fourth chair for this week and so I'm joined as ever by our geek queen Helen O'Hara Hello Great big fucking nerd James Dyer Hi and the best dressed man in showbiz Amon Warman Hello 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 Wow showbiz not just film shows I'm I'm upgrading him I'm upgrading him I'll take it I'm building him up just to knock him down Wow sorry Timothy Chalamet (laughs) (laughs) So long Mm. Jason Momoa Uh, Really? Oh yeah Yeah. The pink suit at the Oscars are you kidding me? That was pretty nice in Mm. fairness but yeah, I I mean the standard by which everyone is measured by now should be Coleman Domingo. Coleman Domingo. Yeah, right. Chadwick Boseman. Okay, you know, I'm going to redo Amon's introduction. <laughs> and we're joined, of course, by the 571st best dressed man in showbiz, Amon Warman. I mean, that's not bad. You're working on a budget. They're not working on a budget. You know? Yeah, I mean, you can tell he's working on a budget. <laughs> oh. Hey, come on. Hey. I just how, meant hey like he's now. a normal person. Hey, how whoa. That was what? Come on. Things were going so well. TK Maxx? No. Don't knock Zara. it. Sara. <laughs> oh, hello. Hang on. What are we paying you? What's going on? Anyway, hello. Welcome all. Hello, how are hello. we doing? We good? It's yeah, June good. week. Of it is June week. Oh, it's it not is June week. week. It's October. June was four months ago. June with having. a D. Oh, June, June with a D. Yeah. How, a, how are you guys? Are you okay? I'm feeling more awake this week than I was last week after my James After Hours incident, which was like the experimental <laughs> episode of Ted Lasso, but my life. Um, so that was that was weird. But yes, I'm slightly more awake. So this is public knowledge that you were just wandering the streets of London. Yeah, like well, I ended up talking about this on the pilot. TV podcast and uh, oh, so no one will have heard that so <laughs> tell it to an actual audience yes this yeah. is one where I missed my last train I ended up wandering around Tower Hamlets at one o'clock in the morning and I stayed in a and I found a hotel that would let me in and it was what I can only describe as Ryan Murphy inspired where you went in and there was a mural of a matronly sort of great British bake-off goddess over the bed just like and then there was there was a, a, a lamp made out of a twisted garden hose Absolutely true, and, human and then skin. Uh, and human skin, <laughs> and no, but there was a hand. Was there was Evan a hand Peterson. coming out of the wall in the toilet, like just coming out of the wall, like a like a, a hand. Was it to like what? hang towels on? No, I don't think so. I think it was a previous occupant, and oh. um, so it was slightly terrifying. So some kind of hell slightly, or a little bit, a little bit, maybe I don't know. So I I stayed at Ryan Murphy's house, and then and then and then came in, having had two hours sleep, which is why at one point during last week's podcast, I just disappeared and stopped talking because you just, you just I put did. my head down on the desk and I was like, I'm done. You shut down. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it was so weird. I was, I was, I was, I, I was watching you out the side of my uh, side of my eye because the way the the studio desk is configured, and you were just staring into space. <laughs> we were discussing things that were in your wheelhouse as well, and you were just like, no, no, can't do can't it. Do it. I no. can't do it. I can't. I can't even. I'm so glad that you've recovered. Yes, I am the quiz ass Hadarak. Yeah, expired. But you know. That could be. You don't I know. I don't think so. I suggested to Helen that uh, at some point I will give you guys a the Dune Quizach mm. Hadarak where I test your Dune knowledge and yeah, Helen might do that. Helen will win. Helen, because, I, think, I think James will because win. Because Helen like, probably had read the book four times while walking down to the studio from the office <laughs> yeah, no, like, in the way that. that she does yeah, in that freakish, read, like, my with, stepmother is an alien kind of way. Yeah, but you read in that freakishly like insanely detailed way <laughs> where you rem- remember and retain like entire chunks of the text and ha- are obsessed with tiny details yes. that don't matter to the actual yes. story. You know, well, it, was, so. it was funny, a thing a thing happened this week. Oh, I can't really talk about it, but a thing happened this week, which some, <laughs> which, this is not brilliant for podcasts. I, I, I came, <laughs> there was a celebrity cameo in a film. Right. If you know, you know. There was a celebrity cameo in a film oh, that yeah. I saw and uh, someone asked me, a really arcane bit of law, which I knew. And then they said something about the cameo. And I was like, who was that? And I was like, who was that? Because that is classic me. Like, I will know the really arcane thing, but not know the bit of pop culture that everyone knows. And that is just me in a nutshell. We should okay. no, no, this, this is, is you in a nutshell. Look at this really great nutshell. <laughs> we should do a Twitter poll on this. Are you team, team Helen or Team James when it comes to June's blending quiz? Do you think we should do the quiz arch Hadarak? Is the, that what it's called? The quiz arch, yes, indeed. <laughs> okay. Well, the, the, I, I wrote my, although to be fair, so I wrote this bit of June's blaining for the website, which was, <laughs> of course you did. which is again, everything I think you should know before going into June and indeed after seeing June. Oh. But I did run it past Helen before I put it up to make sure I hadn't put any howlers in there. Yeah, he did. Uh, it was which was which was oh. good. I needed I needed a second pair of the eyes of Ibad on it he before did. I uh, before yeah. I put it up. But like yeah, that's a phrase that does not suck in my head. For example, the eyes of Ibad. Yes, but and you're all about the Butlerian jihad. So oh, I know about the Butlerian jihad. Stop it! Doesn't. Stop it! Stop it! We're going to be talking about June. Okay, the sandworm has turned. None of this yeah. is spoilers. Don't worry. But also, he's read I think all of the sequels, and I'm not sure I have. I've not read the Brian books. Okay, well, I don't read the Brian. What books. about the James books? James Herbert, the best Herbert of you. His June books are excellent. Yes. This is why when when you ask, you know, you are asking who could be on the June podcast, the June spoiler special. I'm like, no, I'm gonna let, I'm, I'm gonna take in the June's planning, the Helen's planning, oh, no, the James planning from a distance. I am so um, excited about it. Yeah, I am. I am massively excited about it. How long should we set aside? Three hours? I mean, or so? Twice the length of the movie. I'm saying, yeah. you know, not not to spoil things, but I thought the film was absolutely terrific uh, as well. Which, so, which blew my mind. Yeah. Which yeah, we'll so get onto this later. But I was, I've rarely been more excited. No, I'm, than when you texted say you love the film because I would have put money on, on board. It. I am fully. I'm. Mm. I'm I'm in. I am. I'm both feet are in. Both, Ripped I'm up to the to tits knees. on spice. I am absolutely. I'm, <laughs> I'm engorged on spice, uh, and I'm very, very excited to talk about it in depth, or rather, to listen to you guys talk about it every now and again. I'll go. So, um, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking? Yeah. About? <laughs> what, what was that? Why? Why was it? What? And then who was the thing? See, the I've, what? I've had this experience twice this week because I, I also, uh, I've told James this. Uh, refinish. Refinished? Yeah. You've refinished. Refinished. That's right. Refinished. Refinished. I refinished. finished rereading re the Wheel of Time. Well, the Wheel of Time turns, Helen. And as we know, the end is the beginning is the end. And ages come and pass. Mm. Smashing pumpkins. That's right. <laughs> it's Billy Corgan. <laughs> yes, that's right. Hang on. Are you saying that Billy Corgan is a fan of the Wheel of Time? Actually, it fits. It makes sense. <laughs> it does. It no, does. I... That is the look of a man who has seized Sidene. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> 
All right, should we have a question? Sure. Uh, you may you may be sitting at home going, but hang on, you've got four people in the, uh, the booth, Chris. You've got three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Is there not a three-fact structure? Well, no, I think Jason Isaacs pretty much ended the uh, three-fact structure on our live show. <laughs> so if you saw that, no, it will be back. It oh. will be back. But uh, literally just before we started recording, uh, I'm almost going, okay, I think I've got a good fact. And I was like, there is no three-fact structure this week. Don't worry about it. And you, and you lost your shit. <laughs> you lost your shit. I was like, I now have a fact if if and when the three fact structure returns, I now have a fact for that structure. So yeah, I've, I've literally fine. taken to like screen grabbing things as I see yeah. them, so I know I have yeah. like a bit okay. of a... Well, it sounds like you two are ready. <laughs> don't, no. No, we don't have time. No. No, we don't have time. No. Hard pass. <laughs> no, I, we have a hard eye. Come on. All right. Also, fine. seeing as you brought up the live podcast, I feel it's worth mentioning that we did do a three fact structure on our live podcast and I won that three fact structure. It was Boom. charity. Thank you. It was 100% <laughs> charity and you know it. <laughs> it was an awesome fact. All right. Deservedly winning. It, it, I, and I can remember it. I remember it like <laughs> oh, it was yesterday. It was such a good fact. It's I recite it almost every night uh, yeah. before I go to bed. Yes, yeah. yeah. it was great. It's, it's my mantra. Yeah. Yeah. A mom's yeah. fact is That's a true right. killer. Mm. No. <laughs> it is the little death that brings total obliteration. <laughs> Speaking of which, we must press on because, of course, the whole last hour of this podcast is dedicated to the dinner oh, yeah, cool. So Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, all right. I'm, 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 beginning to, I'm beginning to cool rapidly on June. Uh, all right. Uh, so we... I, okay, we're not doing three-fact structure and then... You guys said, well, what's this week's question? And I'd actually forgotten. <laughs> uh, so I've done a very last minute, very panicked shout out on the old Twitter machines for a question. And I've got loads. Right. So I'm just going to go through them and we'll see sure. what we want to answer. Cool. And if anything pops into your head, then answer it. Uh, right smart Dan, why do we see so many scenes of people eating in films and yet scenes of people doing a poo are so seldom? So what are your favourite... <laughs> What are your favourite poo scenes in mainstream Hollywood films? Uh, it's coming out of me like lava. That's got to be the one from Bridesmaids. There you go. Ooh, yeah. I'm oh. surprised yeah. you didn't immediately go to Nomadland. And- oh, shitting in a bucket. <laughs> shitting in a bucket. Oh, <laughs> classic. But it's so artfully it's shot. Shit in a box. <laughs> um, uh, train spotting. Obviously. Oh, yes. Well, I think isn't the point is he can't. That's the problem. Yeah, and then, but then he can, but then he's got the... Yeah, you're thinking of uh, Spud. Right? Oh, Spud. Spud. I, I was actually thinking of Renton, but now okay. I'm thinking now of Spud. Spud in the sheets. Oh. Yeah. oh. Oh, we've all been there. No, that's not true. No, we haven't. <laughs> we haven't. No. No, no, we haven't. We haven't. Uh, but yeah, Renton, because Renton's not going for a poo. He's just. Is he going for a poo? He is, yeah. He is, he is yeah. going for a poo. Yeah. And then he. Because the whole thing out. is, he says, yeah. like, heroin makes, makes you constipated. And then, and then he did, yeah, and then he runs. And then he has to go back to find the suppository, which has obviously got away from him. Anyway, so that's unpleasant. Um, the other one that comes to mind is uh, Austin Powers. Who does number two work for? Oh, but obviously, my technically, God. is that a shooting scene because he's actually having a fight with him. Yes. <laughs> you show that turd who's boss. There you go. Uh, dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber. No recollection. Jeff, no. Jeff Daniels. I remember him being in a bathroom. I don't remember what yeah, happened. Yeah, he has no. explosive diarrhea and he has to go to the toilet because Lloyd sure. has... <laughs> put laxatives in his tea mm-hmm. and so he has to run to the toilet and it's just Jeff Daniels on the toilet going like yeah. just it's, yeah. it's, it's wild anyway alright so that's one question dealt with uh, right smart Dan thank you for that question um, Simon Wright Wright Stuff 76 speedboat feet or helicopter hands what would you rather have speedboat for feet or a helicopter for your hands Speed I would boats. rather have neither. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you saw loving psycho. Yeah. 
if if I'm forced to pick, you'll be speedboat for feet. Yeah, but okay, but fundamentally that's impractical because we live on land. <laughs> like straight out, I mean, that's just not going to help you. Yeah, but, but then, what are you going to do with helicopter hands? Impressive. Like you can fly, like, yeah. but you couldn't only, eat chips. At least or... I could still do this job with my you know normal hands while I'm doing helicopter. Yeah, hands. how are you getting dressed in the morning yeah. with also, helicopter hands? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with difficulty. Yeah. Mm. Whereas at least you could, you know, I don't know what size of speedboats we're talking about. You yeah, how big are the speedboats? But you could always wear some kind of sarong or something. <laughs> wow well I'm just saying if you have trouble getting your trousers on I'm just picturing myself with speedboat feet wearing a sarong but sure um, or those those rip off pants you know with oh the yes pants on the side oh 100% wearing, that yeah. would be cool I yeah. wasn't just thinking magic stripper. mic style I wasn't thinking strippers my genuine uh-huh. first thought was mm-hmm. like you know in basketball and stuff for yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. that's but, absolutely where you went but yeah. also strippers yeah 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 Okie dokes, okie dokes. All right, one last question, um, because there actually are some good questions that we might be able to get into. In Why aren't you picking week. any? <laughs> because there are ones that need research. Ah, uh, we don't do research. No, we do do research, but just spectacularly bad at it. Uh, okay, here's one. This comes from at Nathan Harrison 9 and he asks... Given the spoilers being leaked from the Eternals premiere, mm. we'll get into that in a second, mm-hmm. which previous MCU post credit stings would have stung the most had they been spoiled beforehand? So I figured this is in our wheelhouse, this is MCU, we can yeah. talk about MCU, it's all fine, but I will set this up very quickly. So, With no the Eternals, spoilers. no spoilers, because yep. I don't know the spoilers, mm-hmm. thankfully. Okay. I do, unfortunately. I do. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the Eternals screened this week, and um, I believe at least one but maybe even more than one colossal f- tweeted spoilers from the film's post-credit scenes. Now, this is a film that's not out for two weeks to the public. It's not been screening for many people at this point in time. I always feel like sometimes when you go to see these things, you enter into both a written contract and an unwritten contract. So you, you know, sometimes you'll sign an NDA or a scary embargo of some of some such. And then other times you're literally asked, do not reveal, you know, it's, you shouldn't have to be told this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Third act spoilers, second act spoilers, or what the post-credit stings is, because that will ruin the experience for a lot of people. Now, I have managed to avoid, and I'm sure now someone's going to be very funny on Twitter and they're going to come into my, my, my timeline and they're going to try and ruin the post-credit sting of, of Eternals for me. Well done, if, if, if you're going to do that. But... You know, I managed to avoid the spoiler, so I don't know what the spoiler is, but I would say this is just extraordinarily unprofessional, and I don't quite know why it happened. I think Disney and Marvel would be well within their rights to have a look at everyone who's posting tweets, who's put the article, because there have been outlets who have now taken those spoilers and put it on their own website. And I think Disney Marvel would be... Extraordinary. Yep, I know. I think they'd be well within their rights to just, you know, take all of that into account and say, okay, you got your likes, you got your clicks, you got your retweets, fine be prepared to never have an invite for a Disney Marvel thing ever cross your thing, ever cross your inbox ever again. I think they'd be well within their rights to do that. Yeah, it's not going to happen, yeah. is it? Um, but, but the thing is just... It's just like you said, like, on the one hand, yes, it, you, I'm sure they signed an NDA. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure everyone who went to the film uh, signed an NDA. It was the premiere. But, and so nothing, they wouldn't sign anything. That's true. Yeah. 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 But then they're yeah. sometimes ahead of time. No? Not no. even for a premiere? I'm sure no. I've had those before. No, but anyway. Premieres are, uh, are, are weird beasts. You have themselves. a compact with the studio, but you have a compact with your audience. And yeah. I just think, exactly. as a journalist, what do you gain by ruining something? Because anyone who cares about that news story, anyone who cares a lot, will be upset that it's been written. 
And anyone who won't be upset won't care that you've written it. So there's nothing to be gained from doing it at all, other than being able to do that me first thing. I was the first person to say, I have broken this thing, which is, again, bellandery. I just, yeah. As someone who is pathologically spoilerphobic, it made me want to. I mean, I'm not even that spoilerphobic. I actually went and looked it up on the basis of, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to know what everyone else is talking about so I don't have to worry about my time online. Because I don't worry that much. I mean, we've talked about spoilers in the past. Yeah. Like, the spoilers happen in our business. Sometimes we'll be on set, we'll be told things. Sometimes we mm, just figure stuff yeah. out. You know, and that's fine. That happens. We're we're big girls and boys. We can take it. But um, but to do it like that on Twitter in a way that people do not have an opportunity to avoid. Like, if you, even if they buried it in a news story where it wasn't in the headline, it wasn't in the cell, you had clear spoiler warnings, it was further down the page, that would be bad, but it might be more forgivable than just straight up tweeting it, which is what they did. And the mm. thing with Twitter is, even if you sort of have taken steps to mute it and protect yourself, it will be a trending topic before long and it will be in the What's Happening homepage right oh, there luckily for I you to see. Yeah. I never looked at um, so, But a lot of people yeah. got it that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. I've got a weird relationship with spoilers as well. As you know, I will actively look them up for shows that I'm, shows either I that I'm watching or shows that I'm not watching. That's fine. I, I, no, it's not. I saw you did that for Squid Game the other day, and I'm like, what are you no, doing? But if he's never going to watch it, I don't but think there's anything wrong with that. Why? Why not? It takes nine hours to watch Squid Game. But, it took me 30 minutes to read the Wikipedia page. <laughs> But Squid Game is like the, one of the best new shows of 2021. You are ruining yeah, like, that. You are a monster. So. You are a monster. I mean, you're, <laughs> but, I, you know, there are times when you're just like, I just don't have time. I need to know the facts so I can move on with my life. And at some point, I might go back and watch the thing. It is the yeah. mark of a sociopath. I mean, you know it, that, it, right? Like, you're aware. Well, it takes one to know one. You know, we, we, we're not so different, you and I. There's a flip side to that coin. But I have a strange relationship with spoilers. But for stuff like this, I actively don't want to know. I do want to be surprised. Uh, I do want to know what's. I do want to go into No Way Home being surprised. I do want to go into Eternals being surprised. And uh, uh, and so when when something like this happens, I just think it's really egregious and, as I said, unprofessional. And two weeks ahead of the film's opening just feels wrong mm. to me. Just feels wrong. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed your clicks. Should we answer the question? What was the question? <laughs> the question was which post credit sting in the MCU ah, where we've uh, been pissed off about how we've been tipped off to it beforehand. Now. I will say that we all knew going into Iron Man that Nick Fury was going to show up at the end, didn't we? Yeah, because that, that had been Ameri spoiled. It had come out yeah. in America f f long enough before, maybe, or not just that. I think I'd read it on Anticle News back right. in the days when I still read Anticle News. I um, don't think that would have spoiled anything anyway, because I think at that point none of us quite realised what the MCU would become. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I don't think it necessarily mattered. All right. Um, so the bit when Hellboy turns up at the end—that's yeah, <laughs> that's good. I like that. I like that. All right. So we. Oh god. Here we go. Okay. So Incredible Hulk. There is no post-credits thing in Incredible Hulk. Uh, there is one in. Is there one in Iron Man too? Yes, there is. Uh, Thor Hammer. Thor's Hammer. Thor's Hammer. Yeah. All right. Then. That was fun. Uh, then we have Thor, which is the Loki possessing yep. Stellan Skarsgård yep. one. Mm -hmm. Then there's none in Captain America apart from the brief preview of the Avengers. Yeah. yeah. The Avengers, Avengers is Thanos and. Thanos and Shwarma. Hellboy. Thanos and Shwarma. <laughs> Iron Man 3 has Bruce Banner turning up and being... By the way, if you haven't seen any of these movies, <laughs> I, I, re I realise the hypocrisy of what we're doing here. Uh, but these are older movies, so I think it's yeah. okay. And we may tiptoe around some of the ones in like, Shang-Chi or whatever, but uh, uh, we're not tweeting it out two weeks before the movie Indeed. is released. So uh, Iron Man 3 is Bruce Banner turning up at the end because yep, he's the mm -hmm. one that Tony Stark's mm -hmm. been narrating the entire movie to. Then we have... Thor the Dark World. Thor the, the Dark, Dark World, World has yeah. two. It has... As the Collector, then bringing the... And then the Kitty the, Cat. 
Yes. Running around granite. Yes. That's right. Yes. All right. Well, you've been pissed off about any of those so far? In fact, um, would any of these have pissed Thanos. you off? Yeah, I mean, not, not would have pissed me off, but like it was cool seeing that in the cinema and people yeah. cheered and it was exciting. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. It's like, I can't be arsed coming through the rest. Uh, so um, what, is there anything at all that would have, that would have uh, broken you up or pissed you off had you seen it? I, I don't know that they do massive, massive reveals. No. Yeah. Do they? I just think it's, um, they're nice to haves mostly. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you want to have that experience in the cinema. You do not want to be robbed of that reaction. That first sort of remember where you were when you saw this type thing. And that is what spoilers do. Far From Home would have been a blow. The first oh, yeah. one in Far From Home. Not so much the second one. Well, actually the second one as well, but also the first one. Oh yeah, no, actually that's a really good one. Yes, yeah. yeah, Far From Home. Both of those and Far From Home. I would not have been happy to find out yeah. either of those. All right, good answer. Well done, James. Yeah. I just realized we were only like 10 films into the MCU and I started listening to post credit scenes for every single one. <laughs> yeah, we'd be here for a while. An episode all by itself. Although you would, yeah, yeah it, was, it was good. Yeah, we were, we were going along nicely. We were going along nicely. But, uh, but hey-ho. Okay, so thank you for your questions. Thank you for responding to my panicked shout-out in such a manner. Again, I think we have questions to propel this over the next couple of weeks or so, but we shall see what happens. We shall see what happens. Uh, but if you want to have your question read out on the Emperor Podcast, then Twitter is the only game in town right now. Uh, reply to me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. You can slide into my DMs or just reply to a panicked shout out every now and again, as all three of the people did today. I hope you got your money's worth. Time now for a first guest. Should we have a first guest? Let's have a first right. guest. Who should we have? Should we have Jake Chillenhall? Jakey G. Let's have Jakey G. Sean Paul's Jake biggest fan. <laughs> Sean Paul's biggest fan. <laughs> uh, it is, of course, Mr. Jake Chillenhall, who is the star of the guilty, the Antoine Fuqua directed thriller. I thought was very, very good, which is on Netflix right now. And it is very much a movie that, that is centered around Jake Gyllenhaal, who plays a 911, a, a cop who is on 911 uh, response duty. And he gets involved in a mystery that tests him to his very limit. It's a really tense and grippy movie that is anchored by a wonderful central performance from Jake Gyllenhaal, who's on screen throughout Mm -hmm. uh, pretty much the film was shot in 11 days during the pandemic and uh, I was happy to jump onto Zoom last week with Jake um, to have a good old chat about that and a great many other things besides he was in very very good form indeed here we go Jake Gyllenhaal do please enjoy we're delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by the star and producer of The Guilty Mr. Jake Gyllenhaal how the devil are you sir hi Chris I'm well I'm well (laughs) You know, I'm very, I'm very, uh, I'm good on this overcast day in New York City. How are you? I'm going to take a guess that it's overcast where you are as well. Oh, yeah. I don't want to be presumptuous, but. Oh, yeah. It's just generally overcast in, in England. <laughs> yeah. This is fine. This is like suntan weather for us now. We're, we're, we're good. <laughs> we're in October. I might walk around later on with my top off outside and just scare people, but we'll see how it Ooh, goes. Ooh, that sounds like fun. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, spread fear amongst the populace. That's what I like to do. Uh, <laughs> Of, of a Wednesday evening. Um, well, thanks for thanks again for doing this. And uh, obviously, we're on Zoom because I wanted to try and replicate as best I could the experience of filming The Guilty for you again. <laughs> Thank you so much. I I seem to be experiencing the the filming process like that every other hour of my life. You know, uh, <laughs> I feel like we all have, we've now defaulted to Zoom, which is like. Uh, which I guess is what it is given the circumstances, but I do, I do, I do yearn for 
you in person, Chris, and but with your top on. So you know, <laughs> way ahead of you, way ahead of you. Don't worry, you, would, you, would, you do not want to see my pasty flesh, Jake. It's, it would not be good, trust me. Uh, but yeah, I've started to do in person interviews again, and uh, recently, uh, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch and Quentin Tarantino and people like that. And Ooh. I know, I tell you, so you need to come over here and you need to add your name to that pantheon. And uh, but I, I, it was astonishing to me that I actually remembered what to do. And how to, you know, how to comport myself in front of people again, because it's so, it's so weird. I mean, I don't know whether you found, you found the same thing uh, when you're in a group room with people now that you don't know how to behave. Honestly, I think I've, I've, I, I definitely appreciate it much more in terms of the way in which even we made this film, you know, Mm. I, I yearn for it by the end, you know, because we have this, even in this exchange, you know, our rhythms are dictated for us in a way. It's hard to interrupt. There's always the awkward pauses, which I always love, even in person. I mean, sometimes those are magic when you're making a movie. In fact, that's kind of what you're looking for is those like true human exchanges of deep insecurity that come through when, you know, someone doesn't know when to speak or, you know, that's interesting to watch, but, you know. Uh, yes, I, I know exactly what you mean. No, see, you're a fantastic listener, so you can't fool me. Um, you're you're less inclined to interrupt than I think you are to listen. But like I, for someone like me who just loves to hear himself talk, you know, it's a uh, it, Zoom is I I I prefer in person. Oh yeah, absolutely. But we're, <laughs> we're better now than we were back at the in the early days of the pandemic when I I hated Zoom with a passion. I hated Zoom with a passion, but now now it's fine. It's it's okay. Well, it's fine-ish. I thought it was wonderful in terms of um, um, uh, balancing, you know, the ability to exist in your life, and and then also immediately kind of transition into work if need be. I, I, I liked that. You know, I liked that there was a formality to it that you could create through through you know a device. But more and more, what I'm realizing is that the formality has become lost. You know, we're, we're sort of existing with each other in the informal. And I love formality. You know, I, I love really? boundaries. Yeah. I think those things are really important. I think they're really important to, to actually sort of, for instance, I think the Brits are fantastic at pageantry and formality. I think it's a, it's a, it's deeply ingrained as your default, you know, and I, I, I envy it, you know, because I think it creates a sense of security to go deeper, even deeper. Mm. Whereas now I feel like we're all kind of like, I don't know, there's a laziness about it. I guess that's what I would say. There's a laziness about um, Zoom because, mm. you know, we'll sign off and then, you know, we can easily get to where we need to get to in our home or deal with whatever it is, you know. Mm. When you have to take that ride, you know, for instance, in the theater, like when you have to go from your home wherever you're staying you know, get on the tube, get on the subway, walk, whatever, get in a car, whatever mode of transportation you take, mm-hmm. get to work, mm-hmm. sit there. Mm-hmm. As much as we all may hate it, there is an interesting formality to it that I think is beneficial somewhere. I miss it. Like I miss the theater. I mean, everyone's going back now, but I just miss how that was normal life. So in a way, was the guilty was instigating the guilty was almost a, a reaction against that. Not Not just a desire on your part to make a great film, play a great role and get back to work. But a reaction against that, that lack of formality and I guess function in your life as well. The guilty is a product of, a, of many things. I mean, initially my deep love of the, the, the first film, which, mm. you know, I, I fell in love with immediately when I saw it. And 
I'm not one to say I want to do a remake of a movie, but the style in which it was done and, you know, the, the talent that is Gustav Muller, like just intrigued me in terms of if I could transpose it to the States, you know, see what it felt like in America, because I feel like it had a different connotation when he moved it to a different culture. And I'm so used to in the theater in particular, people playing other people's roles, you know, like, you know, Hamlet is played by many actors and accepted, you know, when something is fantastic, it's really interesting to watch it in a different culture with a different person with a different upbringing. So I, I looked at it like that. And I also feel like the pandemic was for me an opportunity to, how do I put this? Like, yes, we made the movie. It was, we have to watch movies given the era that they are made, given the situations they've been made in. Those are really important aspects too. I mean, if you were to go into film studies and you were to look at why there are so many themes that were, you know, given, you know, different eras and different historical situations and social and there, there, you, you find a theme the, the pandemic era is a theme. And mm-hmm. yes, I think that, that the guilty was born out of, out of what was happening in the world, you know? There's so much that plugs into it as well in terms of, you know, how, how cops are being depicted now in the States and how people think of, of the police in the States. There's also, there's a, there's a, certainly a very, very strong mental health element of the film uh, as well. So it doesn't necessarily, I think that the pandemic itself doesn't plug into the film in terms of it doesn't take place during COVID-19, but there are other things that have been swirling around for the last year and a half, last two years that are plugged directly into the film. Was that something that you and Antoine wanted to, wanted to do, wanted to explore with this? Absolutely. I mean, I think for me, first and foremost, it, it's a thriller with some great twists and yeah highly entertaining and done in a way that like, I think was different for me, you know, in process, I made a lot of different types of films mm-hmm. and this just offered a different opportunity, different style. And, and then on top of that, it was tied to, and that changed over the course of us developing the movie. Um, and, you know, we, we, we got the movie in from Sundance out of two, you know, 2018. So, the world was a different place. And then, you know, as we were developing it and we had different drafts right before I remember January of 2020, we sort of picked it back up and said, let's, let's get back into this. We've had a couple of drafts. What do, how do we need to sort of develop this further? And then, then the pandemic hit and the movie became a completely different thing. Yeah. It became a thing that like everybody could say, oh, it's contained. It's one act, one actor in one space. It's one of the only movies that could be possibly made. We were sort of, sort of approached on all sides by people who knew that we had the material and said, oh, we can make this movie. Then, you know, six weeks into that, eight weeks into that, George Floyd was killed and mm. the movie took on a whole other incarnation. And when Antoine decided he wanted to make the movie, the discussions between the two of us were that, you know, the undercurrents of this film were prescient and important and our idea of how we presume someone to be our judgment of them when we can only hear them not see them Mm -hmm. the mistakes we make can we be forgiven is redemption possible uh spiritually in the admittance of truth even if it's not possible on earth what is that meaning what is the idea of truth you know and, th- and, and in, in the world that we live in now, um, in a world where I think there's a becoming a great lack of nuance mm-hmm. 
a less, less of appreciation for nuance and those questions. I think it's, uh, there are a lot of very important ideas that have come up through all this, but the movie for Antoine and for me subsequently was about eliciting a kind of discussion and outside of all the twists and turns and kind of fun that it is, that was very important to us. And so obviously the movie is is out now on Netflix and and has been for uh, a week or so. So have you seen that conversation happening? Have you been part of that conversation? Um, we we have uh, we've had incredible conversations about it throughout the whole process. Um, you know, I think we I think there are many different opinions about the the film most people who see the movie really understand it as a discussion mm-hmm. and really as entertainment. I mean, that's the biggest thing for me that I was really looking forward to was a movie I knew would be entertaining. You know, I think there've been a lot of people claiming they, they, they know, they knew what was going to happen from the beginning. You know, like there's a lot of those people on the internet going kind of like, I knew it was going to happen from the beginning. Like what were they doing? Like, or, you know, like you know, I've I've some I've I've read some of those things, and I think also there's a sort of sense of living in the world we live in. People wanting movies to be the way they want them to be. Yeah, and 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 and, I, and it's a, it's a very interesting world after you know 30 years of doing this, seeing how that's changed. You know, the audience demands what they want and what they want. <laughs> if you give them anything other than that, or if you don't really pull it off 150%, there's always going to be some conversation. I say conversation as a euphemism um, for other things. <laughs> uh, but like, I, I think that, I think that, you know, I would just also speak to, this was an allegory for us. This was, yeah. uh, this is Greek. You know, Antoine yeah. and I always approached this as like a, a Greek tragedy. And so the feelings and, and the expression were huge and they were dramatic and they were important for us to be that way. Mm. And um, I, I'm just always so, it's so after doing this for a long time, so interested in people's reactions and their responses. And a lot of them make me chuckle, you know? So I, I don't know. It's been very, it's been a very interesting thing in terms of the discussion about the film in many different facets. And I think it's done exactly what Antoine and I had hoped. I mean, he's really proud of the movie. And what what discussion it's brought up, and it's your second time working with him, and there, there's a, a, a small group of directors that you've worked with twice, you know, Denis Villeneuve and Dan Gilroy, and now now Antoine uh, as well. So you know, do you know when you click with a director? Yeah, I do. I, I honestly, I would add Michael Bay to that to that to that oh, yeah? group as well. Yeah, I just worked with him, and I loved working with him. And yeah, I do know. You know, I think these you're talking about guys who are they're uh, people who are forces of nature in a lot of ways, people who, people who love, who desire, who are passionate, who are, who, whose sense of scope and approach to the world is large and romantic, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I th- I've been thinking about it actually recently about the things that I love and what I want to do. And every time I try and convince myself of something, it's usually that I'm trying to convince myself of the romance in it. But, when I'm working with those filmmakers, it's already just like imbued with so many different levels of romance. But Denis, it's, I mean, when you look at a movie like Dune, it's just this like extraordinary technical feat. It's the stuff that dreams are made of, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, that's what I said to him specifically when I saw the movie. I was like, this is the stuff dreams are made of. 
you have, you have gotten as close as you can to our experience in that space. And we, I know you want to get closer and you will get closer in other ones. And, and that's your desire. And those are the people I love. And I think Antoine's the same. He's always, he's down for an idea. He, he jumps in. He has that sense of like passion. And, and, and I think for me, those are the people that I, I love. Dan's the same. Dan Gilroy's like, he's just passionate man. You know, he's a, He's a sensitive man, but he's very passionate. And, mm. and I think those are the filmmakers that I, that I connect to. Yes. And uh, I've got to let you go in a second, Jake. But I, the last time we spoke uh, was actually for the magazine, for Empire Magazine. And it was for Spider-Man Far From Home. And it was before the movie came out. So you were, a, you were in full, full on, I can't talk about that mode, which for those movies is absolutely par for the course. Yes. Uh, but it made me think about, I don't think I've ever seen an actor have as much fun on a press tour as you did on the Far From Home press tour. Now, was that something that you, you purposefully wanted to go in there? It almost, it almost felt like performance art in a way, that you're going into, the, into that tour going, I can't talk about this role. I can't talk about Mysterio at all. So yeah. I'm going to have fun. I'm just going to relax and enjoy the process. Was that, was that your attitude uh, on that tour? I mean, you know, it's like Marvel movies are a whole lot of fun and the audience is having so much fun. And I think there's a real um, sense of, um, I put this, like I'm a man who loves banter, right? Mm -hmm. And there, there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of banter around those movies and a, and a lot of, a lot of banter in the movies. And so, yeah, I mean, in terms of approaching the press tour, you know, it's, it's about these relationships. I mean, look, I adore Tom Holland. He's a lovely guy. I love working with him. He's great fun. That whole cast is lovely. Um, it was, it was, um, it was so not serious, mm -hmm. you know, and I just, uh, I was just riding off that wave. And I mean, those Marvel movies are these beautiful breakers, you know, they just break beautifully. And if you know, you just ride them and you know, that's how it felt. And so I was just like, this is fun. You know, I, and I had no, um, you know, so often too, I think the movies I make, yeah. I'm trying to be like, I'm telling you, go check it out. I swear you're going to like it or you're going to hate it, but it's full of something you will like, we'll give you something. Please watch it. You know, human and, condition, human condition. I, I, I swear to God. Yeah. Uh, like, and, and, uh, and, and it will leave you with something. I've devoted my time in my life. It, it, it means something. I promise. Go see it. Um, and I, and I keep, it's about convincing people. And on that, it was like, oh, I don't have to convince them at all. I guess I could just, you know, joke around. Yeah. And that, and that, that is me, you know, in essence, like that is me. So, um, it was beautiful. It was, honestly, it was beautiful. It was, I, I, from, from my perspective, it was like, this is, this is like something Andy Kaufman would do. This is, this is tremendous. This is it's great. Its own art. It was its own art, work of art. Yeah. Thank yeah, you so much. Absolutely. That means so much to me. Thank you. I, yeah. I mean, I, it was, uh, maybe we'll, um, we should have, well, no, there was a sort of a documentary. We, 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 we recorded the whole thing. So yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. It means a lot. Well, Jake, how would you rank this interview on the banter scale and on the banterometer? How have we done? I think it's been quite serious, actually. Chris, how dare you even ask me? You know you're one of the loves of my <laughs> my publicity life, and uh, you don't ever. I hope you never ask me that again. So a six. Wow, you're pretty confident. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> um, top on, I'll give you a six. Yeah. Oh, yeah. bless you, sir. Bless yeah, you. Yeah. Next time the tops are coming off, it's going to be flesh everywhere. It's going to be amazing. Right, Jake Gyllenhaal, always a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Okay, so that was Jake Gyllenhaal, and now it is time to delve deep into this week's movie news. 
And where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the DC fandom that yes. that hit over the weekend and had some footage and some trailers to talk yeah. about? And of course, the biggest trailer, the one that everyone was going crazy about, was the first full trailer. It is the first full trailer, right? For Matt yeah. Reeves, the Batman. Second uh, full trailer. Well, well, the other one was trailer? a teaser, wasn't it? Teaser. It felt more like a teaser. That was that was okay. that was a soupçon. Yeah, <laughs> that was an amuse bouche. This is the dinner Batman. That was yeah. <laughs> a light snack. This was the first proper full trailer for the Batman, which is out in March. Mm-hmm. Looks very, very good. Looks yeah, looks yeah. really, really well made. Yeah. Yep. There is a little bit, and I realized coming from a fan of the MCU, this is perhaps a little bit rich, a little bit Alanis, but it does feel a little bit like Batman's made his movie again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a little there was it felt unsurprising. I went through that and there was a familiarity, like a good familiarity. Yeah. Looks but, tremendous. But a Oh, I really want to see this, but like, I don't know how groundbreaking this is going to be. Groundbreaking is maybe, you know, okay, I, I get that, but I really, really uh, like this. I like that Riddler uh, looks to be getting uh, sort of a big, a bigger focus than uh, he's had in maybe when well, there's Batman Forever, which I do have time for, by the way. Um, do you really? Yeah. No, really? I'll say, I'll yeah, say, we, were, we were literally just discussing I'll say that there are some really great Batman moments in that film. Are there? Yes. I, I was a little bit. <laughs> I don't that. know that's true. It's, it's, a, it's it has, got a good soundtrack. It does have a good soundtrack. It has, so yeah, it does so it's, a, soundtrack. has a better understanding of Batman. Including than... Smashing Pumpkins, of course. <laughs> or is that Batman Robin? I have not watched Batman and Robin in forever, I and I will not do that. It's the one with so. you two and Seal. Yeah. Yeah, it's Kiss from a Rose. Is, is, yeah. is the, the, a the banger of oh, no, epic you, proportions. Yeah, the, the end is the beginning is the end, is, and the beginning is the beginning is the end. Or it's Watchmen, isn't it? That's... Batman and Robin. Which one of the isn't it one of them's because there's two different versions of this, the end and then there's the they're beginning. Both on one. There. They're both on oh, there. The beginning is the end is the beginning and the end is the beginning is the end. Yeah. They're both on there. And which one is used for Watchmen? Uh, one of them. <laughs> and the um REM's Revolution, which is a great non album track, is yeah. also on the Batman and Robin soundtrack. Those are the only two good things about those movies. The U two song, the Seal song, and the REM's Smashing Pumpkin song. Come on, these are has a better understanding of Batman as a character than the DCEU films do. Hang on, hang on. Is, is this back to the killing thing? Yes. Oh, God, you are oh, so hung up on right, that. Dan oh, Look, <laughs> Superman and Batman kill a whole fuckload of people. Get over it. No, I will <laughs> not get over it. No, I will right. not. they shouldn't be killing people. Sure they should. It's Maimed. practical hell. Will you settle for a light maiming? Oh, God. Oh. <sighs> no. Turning Superman and Batman into murderers is the number one thing about the DCU that I absolutely just hate. Our pats would kill motherfuckers, I'm telling you. Matt Reeves is quoting the right comics in terms of uh, what comics he's taken influences from for this film. There's a comic that he um, uh, mentioned a while back, Batman Ego by Darwin Cook, which has a lot of panels related to the whole Batman killing situation that underline why he wouldn't do that. So on that level, I'm just happy. I'm happy to see, I'm happy that it looks like I'm going to see a version of Batman that I recognize and I haven't seen that in a while on screen. So, but yeah, no, I really like the look at the trailer. I think the Batmobile stunt that closes it out mm. is very, yes. very cool. cool. Yes. And it just, I mean, people Zoe were... Zoe Kravitz is awesome. Yes, yeah. Zoe Kravitz is great. And people were, you know, I, I posted uh, some shots as well. It's one of the most beautiful looking mm. uh, Batman films just on the basis of this trailer. Um, mm. And that's exciting to me. So yeah, you got Michael Giacchino on the score, one of the best composers working today. All of this is really, really exciting mm. to me. So yeah, I'm very pumped. Yeah, those things are all good. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the way it looks. I absolutely agree with Chris that Batman has made this film again. <laughs> because, like, how many reboots of a dark and gritty Batman do we need? Because, and this is, I know I say this all the time, 
there are other canonical Batmans. You know, there are other canonical takes on this character that haven't been explored in film properly for literally decades at this point. Kids love Batman. Kids have not been able to see a Batman film, sort of legally, if you will, in years. <laughs> and, there are, and most of the Batman films that have come out, you would not take a small child to. Mm. Lego Batman has been their only option, and he's poking fun at himself. What? Uh, don't start with me on the animated <laughs> oh, series. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I know it exists, but I'm talking about cinema. <laughs> okay, okay. And like, you know, even Mask of the Phantasm got like hardly any distribution. Come on. <laughs> I'm talking big live action Batman should be something that kids are able to go and see and you as an adult are, feel comfortable about taking them to. And that has not been the case for at least three Batman. And I feel like maybe it should be. Actually, four, because nobody wanted to go and see Batman and Robin. But kids at least could have, <laughs> theoretically, maybe. I just, I just feel like, you know, let's explore the Bat family. Let's leave the emoing to Jason and Damien and not solely to Bruce. See... I, I, I care little for what the kids want to watch. I'm no. all only here for the sort of gravelly, gritty Batman. This so. is because you and people <laughs> like you are monopolising Batman. Me and my ilk you have ruined family. Batman. Are, no, but like, it's not that you're ruining it. Like, that's, a, that's a valid interpretation of Batman. But we've had a million of them now. Mm. And maybe you could share your toys. I mean, Ooh. he's not called the, the bright and fluffy knight. That's all I'm Ooh. saying. <laughs> Yeah, but he's not called the grim and scary knight either. Should he's be. called the dark knight. And there's mm -hmm. room in darkness for some things that are not quite this scary. Less dark knight, more caped crusader. That's what you're saying. Yeah, mm. or world's greatest detective. Well, of course, I'm going to be getting a bit of that in the Batman. So uh, That's true. You know, I just, I just think there's room for a little bit more variation in our live action Batman. That said, I have always been excited about Robert Pattinson as Batman. I think he's really interesting casting. I have mm. concerns about his his curtains, uh, that hairdo, but otherwise that I'm here for That doesn't feel like a billionaire playboy. It doesn't feel like a billionaire playboy hairdo. It doesn't feel like Bruce Wayne. Uh, it doesn't even particularly feel like our Pats, which is maybe why he has it. But I don't, mm. I don't like it. I don't, I don't love it. But maybe it, it'll work in context. We need to look at Jake Gyllenhaal and Jason Momoa and take um, notes, right? I mean, or even just look at our Pats normally. Mm. Like I just but feel like there are better haircuts. It feels to me that if you are playing a Bruce Wayne who is quite clearly damaged goods to look at him, sure. then you can make that leap to oh, he's Batman much more readily than you would if you're looking at suave, <laughs> tuxedoed. Playboy sure. type, exactly. but then again, that might be part of this film. Maybe his secret identity is actually not so secret, and maybe that's partly Riddler's plan. And who knows? Who, who knows? knows? But, as uh, to the Bat Family, we are sort of getting Leslie Grace uh, Batgirl movie, and there was a bit sort of in the DC fandom uh, where she sort of came on camera and talked about her interpretation of the character a bit. We've got a bit of concept art, and looks very exciting. But again, Bat Family without Batman, because what yeah. we're trying to do and what they keep trying to do is get some of those characters in without connecting them to Mr. Grim Darkness over here. And, are, you, are you pointing at me? And I do feel like, you know, I just, I want to see that interaction because that's really interesting. It's dramatically cool. If yep. they could do something with it. If, if they can give Wolverine a tiny sidekick and not make it shit, why can't they do it for Batman? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Anyway, and also, I don't like what they've done to Colin Farrell, but that's just for purely aesthetic reasons. <laughs> yeah. That's what he looks like the rest of the time. Yeah. That's been prosthetics. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, he is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. <laughs> dinner, dinner, Batman. Batman. So you wouldn't want to pick up that penguin? You know my views on penguins generally. <laughs> no. So yeah, I mean, look, I'll I'll be there. I'm I'm excited to see it, but I I just I want a new direction for Batman. And what was interesting to Left. me is a lot of people. Well, yes, obviously, I'm very left wing. But a lot of people I, really? I heard I on noticed. Twitter talking about this um, trailer 
we're saying the same thing. It's like we've seen this Batman. So I mean, it and looks we haven't. We haven't. Phenomenal. This is a different one. It does look really good. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. It 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 is a different take on the grim, dark, mopey dude. <laughs> but what I think a lot of people are now saying is like, can we maybe? Think of a different take. All Helen needs is show tunes. That's all she wants. That's all, she wants. all she's asking for. Is that too much to have? I didn't. Again, I'm not. <sighs> although I did like Batman's song in the Lego movie. <laughs> so, you know, listen. <laughs> this movie looks like it's going to be fantastic. Yes. Uh, we we are huge fans of Matt Reeves yes. here. Uh, this is not dissing it in any nope. way, shape or form. Very, very excited still for the Batman it could, you know, it maybe it'll be a cut above. It may be the definitive take on Batman. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I was just I whenever he came on board and he said all the right things, and so I was hoping that we might get something that I hadn't seen before. And I'm just getting the sense that I've seen yeah. a lot of this imagery before, just with a slightly different suit. What else did we see at DC Fandom? Well, we saw another Batman, didn't we? <laughs> Batman all over the shop. In the Flash trailer. Oh, yes, we did. You are correct. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about (laughs) I wish I could bottle that reaction. (laughs) Amazing. Oh, yes. (laughs) Now you mentioned it. I did see a Batman. Yes. So, Flash trailer, tell us all about it. What happened? Really quickly, though, because, you know, yeah. Flash. <laughs> uh, there are many Flashes, there are many Ezra Millers in this film, and we've got a Michael Keaton voiceover, but we only saw his silhouette of Batman, not the actual Batsuit um, with him in it. See, this is interesting, right? Okay, so, Spider-Man No Way Home, where we suspect that there are numerous characters from previous Spider-Man movies that are not tied to the MCU. Mm-hmm. They put the trailer out, and they confirmed one, hinted at a couple of others, didn't even go near the biggies that we think might be in there. But they confirmed Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. With this one, okay, we don't see Michael Keaton's face, but his voice is there right from the second that the trailer opens up. That's a very different approach to marketing. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I've seen people reacting to it going with the minute I saw the Batmobile, you know, the, the 1989 Batmobile, mm-hmm. I lost my shit. <laughs> so that's a very different approach, and I think it's an interesting one. Do you think it's partly to do with sort of levels of pre-ordained excitement like the flash i think maybe needs a little bit of a jump start in a way that spider-man doesn't putting batman uh, or a batman because we know there are multiple batman in that movie so many batman so many batman Mm. putting but putting you know for many people the batman in the michael keaton batman in in that movie yeah absolutely that gets people going oh this is interesting because the flash is still a relatively unknown property. I go back and forth on Ezra Miller's performance in Justice League mm, all the time. So I. Mm-hmm. I go back and you know, sometimes I think, you know what? He's the best thing in it. He's in a different movie to everyone else. He's having the time of his life. Then sometimes I'll go back and, and revisit and go, I'm not sure this works tonally. What he's doing, mm. it doesn't mm. mesh with everything else that's going on. So I'm, mm. I'm fascinated to see how this works yeah. um, in, a, a, in a standalone film. I thought it was, a, it was an effective opening salvo for the marketing of the film. Obviously, marketing sort of takes place over many different stages. As we sort of ramp up and as the film gets closer to release, I have no doubt that we will see sort of more flashes of actual Batman, sort of full shots, or maybe of Batman, uh, to really sort of <laughs> whet people's appetite and uh, get people excited. Do you think it's more than two Batman? Do you think they've, they've pulled a sneaky one and they've got, like... Clooney I, in there. Oh, and got, oh, please no. let Clooney be in it. Please no. let Clooney be, be in it. No. 
I, I do not want any. I, I do not want to be thinking about Batman and Robin while watching The I, Flash. Yeah, oh, so you were defending uh, Batman and Robin a few minutes ago. No, no, and I was like, defending Batman forever. It's all the no, same. It, no, it, no, it is it's not. All the same. It's not even close to being that, the same. I, I, I'm Metallic Schumacher. No, it's not even close to being the same. There's just a pair of nipples between them. Really, oh, let's be honest. You be quiet. That is completely incorrect. <laughs> I'm telling you, Batman Forever has some... No, You're in danger of... Nolan's going to break his one rule here. That's it. He's yeah. going to reach across his Batman can kill you! <laughs> we want to rile him up? Say something nasty about Kevin Conroy. Uh, don't, 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 don't you don't, dare. Don't, don't <laughs> swear to me! <laughs> what would you do if Kevin Conroy was in this movie? I would stand up and clap. Uh, <laughs> While the film was playing, uh, I want to go see this film with you. I really want to see this film with you. It's because like he 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 actually briefly did play Batman on screen in uh, a sort of CW Elseworlds crossover type thing. But <laughs> Kevin Conroy, my favorite Batman, the Batman doesn't kill us. The Batman is the fav- my, the best you know, adaptation of the character in animated form. When he's playing him in live action, he's killed Superman. That's the Kevin Conroy Batman that we get in the CW crossover. Yeah, so just like. Of all the Batman to come up like that, you can like pick him. Ugh. But anyway, um, see what you've done. Yeah, see no. what you've done. <laughs> Batman Forever is the name of a 1995 motion picture. It is also a an apt description of what Amon's been talking about this episode. <laughs> so let's move on to something else. Yes, uh, let's move on. To can, the we get, can we get Marvel now? Or are we still DC? Uh, are we still uh, uh, fandoming? I've got to take a run up for this. Yeah. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's talk about so the release of the, the release date. We've been playing musical chairs. Yes, yes we have. Oh no! Yeah. What's been happening? I love release dates. Yes, this is where Disney realised they have all the films <laughs> and need to move the films, so are punting things from next year until the great beyond, or at least a little bit further. Well, I've been running the numbers, and it turns <laughs> out we got too many of those goddamn motion pictures. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> indie indie's gone back a year. Oh. Someone uh, at Disney went, an indie film? No, that's anathema to us. Push it back. Marvel's Kill it. has also gone back a year, but realistically, just a couple of months, isn't it? But it's been punted to the beginning of 2023. And, and then everything's kind of shunted back a little bit, hasn't it, really? Everything's like, moved well, back. Yeah. Everything's moved yeah. back. July's moved back to August. August has moved back to October. <laughs> it's chaos. Cats it and is. dogs living together. Mass, Mass hysteria. hysteria. They moved Black Panther Wakanda forever to November, and I'm just... Yeah. Well, I'm just on, this but it's is, still in for next year. So. This is so they can, they can make it good. Know, they can make it better. Can yeah. you imagine after seeing Black Panther we, that we had to wait four years to be back well, in Wakanda properly? But also like the fact that we don't know what the film is at all on yeah. any level. Like that that's that that film fascinates me. Absolutely yeah. fascinates me. Yeah. No, I obviously can't wait to see it. Uh, so yeah, should we, do you want to go through it in, um, in order? I need to get the dates up because I don't have the dates in front of me because I'm ill prepared. See, the way you talked led me to believe that maybe you had prepared and you had the information at your fingertips. I <laughs> oh, see. I thought you'd I, I see, I've made a mistake in trusting you. <laughs> hang on. Mm. Hang on. While, while James is doing that, just to go DC. Okay. <laughs> I did another thing about Batman. <laughs> <laughs> just to go back to DC fandom, very briefly, we did get a first clip from Black Adam. Um, yes, uh, which was pretty cool. The Rock uh, was very proud of that. Yes, yeah. Yeah. he keeps on saying this line: "You know, the balance of power in the DC universe is about." 
to change. What and he says it? that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think it is. I don't, I don't I mean, think it is. I pretty powerful in the clip. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but this Superman would use him as a toothpick. I mean, come on. I don't think, I mean, that, that's a big, I mean, no, yeah. his teeth. Just, one, like, Superman's big weakness is magic and Black Adam's all about magic. So. He loves going to Vegas. Penn and Teller would fuck him up. Penn and Teller fooled me. I can't believe it. But we also got a few quick glimpses at uh, the costumes from other characters like Dr. Fate and Hawkman, played by Aldous Hodge on both sides of the floor. So, So would Superman struggle to find a lady? Is that what, you know, here we go. Okay, Superman, you got three glasses, you got one ball. Where's the ball, Superman? He's like, I have no idea what you've just done. He's got X-ray version, but Superman's a very honorable dude. I'm not sure sure if he would use use it. So if I were to pull a 50p piece from behind Superman's ear, would it blow his mind? Would he go, what the fuck did you just do? And then snap someone's neck. Is that what would drive yeah, him to, to, to murder? Uh, he would have Zack Snyder had anything to do with it. Yeah, he would have. Yeah, I, just, had this discussion. <laughs> anyway, anyway, let's go back to the dates because I have them up in front of me now. Okay, so, 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 Harrison Ford's next, brackets, final indie film has shifted back to 30th of June 2020. Three. Uh, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Man, this has moved from March to the 6th of May. Thor Love and Thunder has shifted from June to 7th of August. Black Panther Wakanda Forever has gone back from July to 11th of November. And the Marvels, formerly known as Captain Marvel 2, has gone from November 22 to February 23. Quantumania's uh, gone to July 20, July 2023. Uh, a changing right. of the guard in terms of release dates. We're all going to be waiting longer. So we just got to wait a little bit longer. That's fine. You know, they're going to f- take a little bit longer to finish these movies. That's okay. It's going to be a f- now proper six month gap between uh, No Way Home opening in December and Multiverse of Madness, which we, can, we, we can survive. Yeah, it'll, it'll be fine. Well, in between, there's going to be there's going to be okay. at least one Disney Plus show, yeah. right? When's so, Ms. Marvel? I'd say well, they'll probably have that running just between Thor and oh. the Marvels. I would say, or between um, Black Panther, okay. She Hulk. She-Hulk, I think that'll be the next one up. Okay. I think She-Hulk's the next one up. After Hawkeye. I'll do some deep breathing and meditation (laughs) and we will get through this difficult time. We will. We we will survive. And obviously all the others, the untitled Marvel projects or unannounced Marvel have all shifted as well. So they had their placeholder dates. untitled Marvel projects? (laughs) (laughs) They had their their placeholders for yet to be announced MCU project. And unfortunately that has now moved back too. What about Blade? Blade. What about Blade? Blazer. Blazer. Uh, <laughs> yes, we don't know where Blade is. Blade has not been dated no, at all. He's, so. he's very sneaky. Yeah. He's very sneaky. We don't, we don't know what's going on. Mm. The Daywalker. Yeah. yeah. There is another dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's going to happen at the end. That's a sting. I'm fucking telling you. Right here, right now, that is the sting. Oh I'm spoiling it. For, for be on Variety next week, I'm telling you. 100%. <laughs> Uh, should we talk very, very quickly about uh, Twitter's favourite bit of casting news from this week, oh, which boy. was the news, or maybe this blog more in the Pilot TV podcast, and that <laughs> the Continental, the John Wick yeah. three-part show that's going to be on Stars, the uh, prequel to the John Wick movies, has cast its first proper um, name, and that name is Mel Gibson. And Twitter was like, yes, he deserves another chance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what Twitter was like. Uh. Yeah. So, okay, oh. let's move on then. <laughs> yeah, no. How to kill my excitement for a series that I was really, really hyped for with one casting decision. You know, anytime anybody tells you that, you know, men's careers are being ended by uh, false accusations, um, 
And isn't it dreadful? I mean, point to Mel Gibson as evidence that that's absolutely not the case. In his case, there's a lot of evidence of the things he has been castigated for doing. There has been no particular efforts at, at mitigation or anything else. He went away for a little bit. Is that meant to be enough? And then he's been back for a very long time. He keeps getting employed in things that do not break out because of his presence. So he's not particularly valuable to you as an audience anymore. So why the heck is he still getting work apart from the fact that nobody cares what he's done? And cost it's, you know anybody. There were a lot of people who fit the bill of you know slightly faded star in their sixties who yep. can who can still play a hard man. There were a yep. lot of people who could play that role, There's whatever tons. it is. It's slightly mystifying to me. So, do we think this is going to stick? You know, the, the backlash on Twitter was so vociferous. I know that Twitter can sometimes be a yeah. little bit of an echo chamber and it, not necessarily reflective of. Real life. Real yeah. life and how people might respond to this. And people may not be aware of what Mel Gibson has said and done over the over the last few years. They may not care. They may just go, well, oh, it's that guy from Lethal Weapon. Yeah, I think we there's, a, like him. there's a bunch of people who don't care. A mm, huge, oh, huge number yeah. of people who don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, equally, so, they, you know, you would not be surprised if stars or the showrunners over there at the Continental went, you know what, this actually isn't worth it's, it. It's a numbers mm-hmm. game, isn't it? If, en- if enough of the cast members, crew members... Um, producers of the Continental come to care about this because enough people complain about it, then you know maybe the casting will be changed. Otherwise, it'll it'll stick and he'll be in another movie. Anyway, I feel like that's enough time on him. I I agree. Did anybody watch the Being the Ricardos trailer? I did not. So this is the new film from uh, your favourite Jimbo Aaron Sorkin, but I have not seen it. Yeah, it's Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem as Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, starring obviously in I Love Lucy. It's the story of uh, their marriage, their partnership, in particular her incredible career. It's a little bit, I thought, and I was watching this on my phone, right? But it kind of felt like the camera was trying very hard not to spend too much time on Nicole Kidman's face, who, while being a very beautiful white lady, doesn't look anything like very beautiful white lady, Lucille Ball. Like, there are two very beautiful people who look absolutely nothing alike, and I'm not Mm. convinced that they've done a huge amount to get over that in this trailer. However, I mean, it sounds cool, and, you know, I'm sure it'll be entertaining. So I'm looking forward to it. Great. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, should we have one more guest? Yes. Yes. Let's have someone from Dune. (laughs) I don't know if we have anyone from Dune, Jimbo. Dune! Oh, no, wait, we do. We have Lady Jessica herself. Lovely Rebecca. We have Rebecca Ferguson. Where's she from? <laughs> There's another Rebecca Ferguson who was on The X Factor and she's a fantastic singer. See, this is what I'm talking from... about. You ask me who the Kwisatz Haderach is, I'll tell you, but I have never heard of Rebecca Ferguson, the X Factor person. Rebecca Ferguson! Yes. Kwisatz Haderach! Gomchaba! Duncan! Idaho! <laughs> I'm enjoying this enormously. <laughs> Again, it's not particularly moving at all. I feel that this is all part of your plan. You have procrastinated all the way through this podcast, condensing the fact that Helen and I will have like two minutes to talk about you. Come on. Oh, no more no. time. All right, okay, all right, Jesus Christ. Uh, but, you know, what time does Back to the Future start? 7.30, I assume. What year? <laughs> 1951. All right. Well, you don't have to leave uh, at 10 past I also 6. have a place to be. Oh, do you have a place to be? Yes. Oh, 
Right, we're all very busy tonight, aren't we? Uh, I'll be editing this podcast. <laughs> Pray for me. Pray for me. Uh, right, Pray second for guest. <laughs> second guest. Uh, this is the life we lead, the life we chose. There's only one guarantee. None of us will see heaven. Uh, or the end of this podcast. Or the end of this podcast. <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson, she's in June. She plays Lady Jessica. I spoke to her in June. On June? <laughs> you spoke to her in June. I spoke to her in June. I spoke to her in June. I spoke to her. Uh, she's part of the Bene, G- Bene Gesserit. <laughs> uh, and she, uh, we, we caught up. Uh, Zoom. I spoke to her on Zoom. Zoom. Rebecca June Ferguson. on Zoom. June on Zoom. <laughs> Rebecca on Ferguson on Monday. Zoom. June. Rebecca Ferguson. Rebecca Ferguson. <laughs> Enjoy. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really well. Really well. Very excited for this evening's premiere in London. Yes, that's exciting, isn't it? This must be a, a day when you thought, you yeah, know, this might not happen, <laughs> or it might not happen right now. It might be a few months down the line still. No, you know, I'm going to pat ourselves on the back and say I very much knew this was going to happen. It's just this is the day. This is this is the time. Did you have money on it? Did you go down the bookies and put money on this uh, uh, coming out now? You know what? I kind of would um, because I just I love the film and whether or not it does well, I, I, I you know, I humbly embrace everyone involved in it because the process has been it's been one of the most joyful moments of my life filming it and i think sometimes that's just enough isn't it yeah absolutely and listen i think this thing is going to do very very well uh, i've got i've got a sneaking suspicion this it's going to be a hit so you think there'll be a second one i think yeah, i think there'll be a second one i think you go down <laughs> to the bookies and put money on there being a second one hey i'll do it if you do it chris <laughs> all right we'll put 10 pounds each 10 pounds each on there being a dune part two so, so the the experience of, of filming this because I understand that you didn't you weren't a, a Dune head. I don't know what they call Dune fans, Rebecca, if I'm honest, but you weren't a, a Dune or a Dunian or a, a Dunet, whatever whatever they call them. Dunarians. <laughs> Dunarians. That's good. I like that. Um, it's always um, I feel like a sensitive way of of describing sort of your love for a project because some people are very much. Um, Genarians to, to be adapted. Um, but, the, you know, sci-fi and sort of this kind of a world, this genre is, is not to be seen lightly. When you understand sort of the sort of dystopian, the philosoph- philosophy behind it, it's very intricate. It's very detailed. You know, it's, it's a very complex world. So I think it's more when I say that I found it quite difficult to dive into the book, it's me kind of pushing myself down maybe a little bit because it's it's a hard world to understand it's politics it's geopolitics it's mm. you know resources it's feminism it is you know we can dissect it on so many levels i think i have fallen in love with a world that hopefully will continue it's it's interesting because obviously over the last few years you have been in a number of films number of projects that have Fan bases, large fan bases, automatically attached. Whether it's Mission or or Doctor Sleep, and now you have Dune. And you know, one of my colleagues, to a couple of my colleagues at Empire, are hardcore Dunarians. It's going to become a catch, you know that the Dunarians. This is it. And again, I want a cut of whatever profits we get from coining this phrase. The financial beneficial interview, isn't it? <laughs> Honestly, I'm going to retire after this. Sorry, continue. You have fans of the Empire who are big Genarians. Indeed, big, big Genarians. And actually, you count your lucky stars that this guy, James, is not interviewing today because you would not get a word in edgeways. He would be explaining stuff about the Kwisatz Haderach and he'd be doing all sorts of 
weird and arcane things from from Dune, but but he is representative of you know the hardcore fan base of this book. You know, even going through the David Lynch movie and the various iterations over the years. From your experience, is this fan base even more hardcore than say Mission or or say Stephen King fans? I would say yes in a very different way because Mission obviously has a history of previous series, sort of the old school missions with other actors, but people will only know to expect extravaganza and bombastic sceneries and cool effects, whilst this one actually has a story to follow. It has a book to follow in that sense. So I feel Mission is kind of free in the world of of extravagance to create something. They have a fan base of just excitement, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Whilst films based on books or even a a book into an adaptation, into a second adaptation, I think this is the third, if you you go with the TV series, June, Mm -hmm. that was previously. It has definitely a a large following that are expecting certain momentums and imagery and, and... costumes and and you know it feels a bit more scarier and larger somehow yeah that's a very good point so for example when you when you you sign on to mission you're playing ilsa faust who as a character has been created by McHugh specifically for that movie people don't have expectations of what the character is going to be or or going to do when you sign on to something like a doctor sleep with rose the hat or yeah. this with lady jessica yeah. you are I, I guess I don't know whether fighting with people's expectations or you're going you're going to be measured up against people's expectations. They've been reading this book for years. They have this character in their head. How much as an actor can you allow that, if at all, to color what you do? I I feel sometimes that this sounds a bit um, um what's the word? Not that I don't care, but I very rarely I very rarely put the burden on my shoulders to deliver a result that I know will be satisfactory to the audience because I also know that I don't have that power. What I do feel and what I do do is I do read a lot of Tumblr pages and Reddit and all of these uh, chat forums, but the way that the fans express their love for characters are usually very detailed into movement and shape and imagery. And that for me is is such a good base to draw my knowledge from. Mm. Um, and then when it comes to this film, you know, Denny had the most incredible team, whether it's the costume designer, Jacqueline, or whether it's Patrice, the, the set designer, who he's worked with before. They're all professionals within their area. So when I came into this world and was offered the role, I didn't have to put together an image of 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 a of a of a suit or of a dress because I knew that it was taken care of by someone who knew what they were doing, who's done so much research, um, who was, you know, every outfit I'm wearing is a homage to something or a painting from a Spanish uh, bullfighting sequence. There's so much hidden detail that is made by all of these incredible people. So kind of my job in this was only to defibrillate Jessica's life into it. So, so where did you begin with Jessica? Because she's a fascinating character. I started um, with Denis. We talked about the power of her because I kept on sort of walking like a queen and moving like a queen because it's something that I think through dance or body movement or even the martial arts with Mission Impossible, I have a certain posture. And I think a posture creates a silhouette and we all of a sudden get a, um, a relationship for a character. So it was finding Jessica's silhouette. 
And Denny said to me, why are you walking like a queen? I'd like you to walk more like a creature. Um, so this is where we started the breakup of, of her. She's more slouchy. She, she doesn't have to present herself like a queen because she's so much more empowered than any queen. She doesn't have to uh, expose that power. So that's where we started. That's interesting because um, without giving anything away, there is obviously Jessica is of the, the Bene Gesserit order. So there is a, a, an, an ethereal quality to her. There's an otherworldliness to her as, as well. So that must have been fascinating to try and incorporate that into, into your movements, into your body language, into your silhouette. Well, yes. So the thing is with the Bene Gesserit, which I absolutely love, is the elite sisterhood who basically train their bodies, they train their spirits and mind beyond any human comprehension, which is phenomenal to be written in 1965. You know, talk about somehow being ahead of, of time when it comes to feminism. And basically their ultimate power is to keep peace, remain the status quo and manipulate the powers of the universe. To, uh, you asked me, where, do I, where did we start with Jessica? Jessica has so many, with what we just described as the Bene Gesserit, the sisterhood, so many layers of the character of, of, like, of an onion. It, it has been interesting to know which character trait to bring out and when. Um, and one of the most wonderful aspects was Denny was in, very interested in the human bond between just a mother and a son. Because in all of this craziness that is power and, and some otherworldly environment and sandworms, and there actually is just a bond between a mother creating a child, completely and utterly rebelling against her job, which was creating a daughter to tie alliances and bonds between the houses and the planets. Mm. And she believes that she can create the ultimate child. That is her belief. And that creates chaos in the universe. And all she has to do is to give this child the tools to survive the chaos that is upon him. And that is harrowing and horrible as a mother. Um, mm. Just that, that bond between a mother and a child. We, as the audience, will be able to relate to the fear, to the despair. It doesn't matter what powers you have. One day you just have to let your offspring go. Yes. To set, your, set, set yourself aside and set your own preoccupations aside. and Yeah, and just hope that what you've done and how you've trained them will be enough. I mean, I, I have to say that I, I love that aspect of the movie, the, the bond between, uh, between Jessica and Paul. And I was, when I was watching the movie, I just thought how open Jessica is. She has this bond with Paul, obviously coming from her Bene Gesserit abilities. And that sequence, the, the, the sequence that happens fairly early on where Paul is going through the, the ritual with the box and the reverent mother and, and your character Jessica is on the outside, but she feels everything he goes through. And you're so constantly, throughout the movie, emotionally vulnerable and feeling everything that he feels. It must have been emotionally exhausting for you, you know, to, to be that open, to be that vulnerable throughout the, throughout the shoot. Yes, and I think for people who have read the book, and I do not believe that this is a spoiler, and if it is, I will do a couple of breathing pauses before and after so you can cut it out, Chris. Okay, good. And there it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've done this before. Um, Jessica has gone through every test that she puts him through. 
And this is what is explained in the book, the Gom Jabbar test, the box of pain or the box of revelation or the box of whatever it is, is has to be tested for any creature or human who believes that they have powers outside the norm. So when Jessica has to bring forth her son for the test of humanity or, or, or you know, whatever there is on the other side, death is a consequence. So I believe that the sequence where, where she has to stand outside the door, she is actually protecting help running in to save her son. She is a barrier to keep no one, keep everyone out from a room where she knows that if she's wrong, she's going to enter a room and her son's going to be dead. Mm-hmm. And those emotions, as you say, were horrendous if you relate to it to your own life. But then what the wonderful thing is about the film is she has to go into her power and her power is that she can completely control every pore in her body by her idiom and by the litany of fear, mm. her mantra. Yes. And she lets fear pass over her and through her. And then she just becomes still. From, a, from an acting standpoint, how, how difficult was that for you? Is it, are you? Are you an actor who keeps emotions beneath the surface until it's time to go with the take or, or, or does it affect I'm so goofy. I'm so silly. I'm so not a character actor. Wow. But it's, it's a treat. Those moments are little, you know, it's gifts for actors to be able to, to have a possibility to portray and to, to not care about beauty and to look ugly and deformed and to cry and to actually be free to express emotions. You know, that, that's what we, what I want to do. And has that always been the way for you ever since you, you, you first began acting that you can, you can do that thing? I mean, you're not alone. I mean, I know Anthony Hopkins, for example, is also someone who can just turn it on uh, when the cameras start rolling. So. I mean, I'm not saying that the outcome is good. <laughs> Doing well. I'm happy with my career. But I, I think we're all very different. And that's wonderful. And to, to give, you know, Denny an enormous compliment, he, I kept on calling him my giant octopus. Um, because he was this rooted center and his tentacles were literally directing us all in different ways. Timmy's technique is completely different to mine. He is vulnerable. He puts everything out there. He gets affected by his surroundings. You know, having someone like a bloody bouncy ball around him doesn't really help. So we're on different frequencies and we need different stimulants to bring forth our characters. And that's Denny's job which he maneuvered brilliantly. So, yeah, and sometimes I need a bit of moments and then I grab. I grab what I need and I, that's my job, you know? So let's look to the future. Let's look to the future with uh, part two because this is a movie that's clearly set up as, as part one. Uh, Denis has talked about how he's pretty much ready to rock and roll should this get to the, the point where the, the light will be green. Um, what, about, what about yourself? Uh, are, you, are you ready to dive back in? <laughs> Uh, I mean, big time, yes. And I think also doing the press with everyone. Yesterday I was on a row with Jason Momoa. I mean, everyone, I can go through them all, um, sitting together, having fun, reminding me what it was like on set. It was pure, utter joy. Um, to, at the same time, I'm excited. I'm going into a new production with Apple um, called Wool, which, you know, I'm a part of the executive producing team, so I'm getting to learn things from another angle. And I think that's quite nice to separate yourself from something and then come back in again with fresh eyes. 
Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, yes, we're ready. And, and but humbly, we have to accept the fact that people might not love it as much as we do. So before putting all eggs in a basket, you know, we um, we're pushing for this one and hoping that you guys write the fucking shit out of it. <laughs> We will F the uh, the S out of this movie. That sounds wrong. Uh, but anyway, um, I will write the F about this movie. This is all very. This is all gone very wrong, Rebecca. But uh, but uh, hopefully there will be a part two. And um, and so wool is happening right now as well. And then is Mission Eight looming in distance as well, coming ever closer. You never know where you have Tom Cruise. I couldn't possibly tell you. You know the drill. I tell you, they kill me. <laughs> I'm honestly expecting him to sort of lower himself behind me right now or me crash too. through the wall. Basically looking out of the window. Yeah, yeah, you precisely. Don't you dare sign. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, it's cool. It's a great story. I have to say, we, you know, I wrapped up Mission Impossible 7 and they, they just don't cease to amaze me when it comes to, um, yes, the stunts and all of that that we expect, but I'm more interested in, in the character development and, and that they're not afraid of of going into um, vulnerability and darkness within character and making it darker and darker um, because you also have to go to new places. You need to shock the, the audience. And I think sometimes it's like salt in water. After a while, we call it the solution is sort of saturated. It's filled. You can't actually, it can't lubricate more or you can't mm. loosen up more. Mm -hmm. um, so we need more emotion. We need more to it. And that's really what Chris and Tom have managed to do. They know that audience is asking for more and more in every angle. Um, so character-wise, this one is going deep. That's very interesting. And also, I know that Mr. McHugh doesn't want to repeat himself necessarily. No, 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 no. Repetition is a, what is it, a small circuit into a dustbin, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed. Anyway, on that note, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks so much, Lee, for your time. It's really lovely, Chris. Thank you. All right, so that was Rebecca Ferguson, the star of June, and that means there's only one place we can start, really, with the review section. We're talking about the films that you can watch this week in your multiplex or your sofaplex. Let's talk about Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> You're a monster! You're a monster! <laughs> Dear Evan Hansen! Hell's Bells, very sure. quickly. You know, get out of the way, and then we can rip okay. the sticking plaster off, we can talk about June. Yes, this is the adaptation of the hit Broadway musical, uh, which won... How, how the are you pronouncing that again? <laughs> is the S silent? Hit, hit, hit. Broadway okay, musical, right. uh, which won the Tony that should have gone, by all rights, to Groundhog Day. Oh, Groundhog um, Day. I'm sorry, I'm never going to not... Never not going to say it. Uh -huh. uh, but it's by Benji Pazek and Justin Paul. It's um, got some... It has some good tunes. I will say it has got some good tunes. Mm. Um, it is the story of a high school student who is <laughs> I'm a teenager played... with the face of a 40-year-old man. <laughs> oh, she's famous. <laughs> I went to the beach from old and look what happened to me. Okay. So yes, Ben Platt, who played the role on stage and a few his years ago. at this point. <laughs> he's younger than all of us. He is in his Barely. late 20s. But he plays, uh, yes, he does play uh, our, our the character hero, he Evan Hansen. On stage. <laughs> the, yes. ca the character he played on stage, who has social anxiety, all sorts of kind of neuroses. He's very uncomfortable. He writes a letter to himself explaining why today is going to be a good day. Um, he has... You've got to use his AK. <laughs> it ends up in the... In the oh, my God. <laughs> 
it ends up in the hands of one of his classmates, Connor, who then takes his own life. And in the aftermath of this, obviously, Connor's distraught family find this letter and it's the closest thing they have to any kind of explanation for what happened that they, he had this apparent connection with this guy Evan Hansen uh, so Amy Adams who plays his mum and Danny Pino as his dad basically come to to Evan looking for answers and he doesn't have the heart to tell them he had no idea really about their son and didn't really know him so he just goes along with it and says oh yes we were totally besties and then this just rolls out of control so soon he's like giving the eulogy and you know hanging out with uh, Connor's sister who he already had a crush on so he doesn't want to turn that down either and he doesn't want to break the mother's heart because she's lovely and nice to him and everything and he doesn't have uh, a dad in his own life particularly so that the dad figure is also really important and of course, they're desperate to find something to fill this, you know, huge loss in their hearts. So it's just this incredibly emotional, devastating situation. But at the heart of it is this complete shithead of a kid <laughs> who has Possibly lied about everything, you know. And so you do have to kind of suspend a level of disbelief yeah. to to kind of get past that and, and think, at no point did you think maybe this wasn't a great idea, Evan, really? Okay. So some good songs and everything. And I do think it's a good adaptation. And the director, Stephen Chabowski, has really tried to... A little bit open it up from the from the the stage, obviously, and kind of you know try and bring a lot of the the text messages and and blog posts and yeah. and you know video clips and stuff that make up the show to to work on the screen and and find a way to do that. I just don't think it's the most compelling musical in the world, and so I didn't think it was the most compelling mm. film in the world and either. Do you not think like so? I think this has tone issues mm. and I think naturally when you go from kind of Broadway banger tunes to talking about you know essentially teenage suicide and mental health it requires a little bit of mental gymnastics there yeah. and I think you can get away with it on stage on a level that maybe you can't so much yeah on film and it's so jarring that it'll go from this really dark conversation and then he's singing and you're just like whoa and it's really really difficult <laughs> to stay with it but that said, and and also the fact that, bless him, Ben Platt, as we've said, who's 78 years old, he he's in a weird curly wig and almost like prosthetics to make him look young. And I think the result is he just looks like an alien. And that's really off-putting as well. Like They've tried to make him look teenage. He's smoothed his skin to the point of there's an uncanny valley quality to the way he looks in this film. I found that a little off-putting. That said, all those things aside, I found it it really got me a little bit. I thought it had all the feels. I was welling up at multiple points during this film. So I actually did enjoy it, but it kind of made me, I've never seen it on stage, it made me more want to see the stage productions. I think this this has a more natural home on the stage. And again, for the tonal reasons, I just don't think film is something that it really lends itself yeah, to. Yeah, I think there's there's probably an element of that. It's not the most... There's a there's a real kind of hurdle that this film had to get yeah. over, and, and I think you're probably right that it doesn't quite. Um, but look, good cast all round, and if you like the musical, then you you will like the film, and it will be a lot happier, a lot easier to see. So it has that going through for it. But but yeah, I I just I'm, look, I'm never going to forgive it for Groundhog Day. Yeah, so, that's fair. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> all right, three stars then three for stars. dear Evan Hansen. So that's dear Evan Hansen out of the way. So that means there's really only one film to talk about this week, and that is, of course, the French Dispatch. The French Dispatch. <laughs> Hooray! Wes Anderson is back, and he's made his film again. <laughs> who, wants to, who wants to tell us about this? I'm on. Yeah. So as you say, this is like by Wes Anderson. It's set in an outpost of an American newspaper in this fictional 20th century city in France. Um, yeah, it's a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch. Here's the title. 
the French Dispatch. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I was sort of predisposed to like it because this is a film sort of about journalism, and uh, in many respects, this is a love letter to journalism. There's one line which I loved, which I wrote down because I didn't want to get it wrong. It's said by how it's played by Bill Murray, who's the editor of said newspaper. Uh, he says, try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose, which is great. <laughs> Write it like down and then, yeah, try to make it sound That's like true. you wrote yeah, it that yeah, way on purpose. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like that. As with all Wes Anderson films, the production and the costume design is impeccable. Uh, I think there's some exhibitions uh, going around uh, soon and I'd highly recommend to the checking out that because that's great um, and the direction is made very meticulous throughout I did find it a little bit slow at times and I liked some stories better than others I think there's a story with Benicio Del Toro and Leia Seydoux which really worked for me and there's a story with Timothée Chalamet which didn't work as well oh, for I me um, but on the whole I did enjoy this and the ensemble cast is just I mean Oh, it's incredible. incredible. Like, I mean, like, they have Elizabeth Moss and Jason Schwartzman and they barely have a line each. Yeah. I mean, I think it's literally one or two lines each. Yeah, the the, the notion of this is that uh, Bill Murray has died and this is his sort of obituary issue of the paper. It is the yeah. final issue. The, 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 the whole thing is going to be shut down now that he's gone. And it's presented as the... Th- uh, a couple of short stories and then the three main articles in yeah. this very New Yorker-like publication and it just has something that's very unusual to see actually in films which is it has affection for journalists and it has affection for culture writers which you know and we don't deserve affection necessarily <laughs> yeah. speak for yourself Helen. no but like you know i i would absolutely understand why filmmakers would not particularly be in love with critics but this one kind of is and it's really kind of lovely to see it and i just really enjoyed this this is my favorite wes anderson film since tenenbaums Ooh. I will caveat that by saying I don't love Grand Budapest as much as every other person seems to, but this one I just thought was mm. delightful. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I only saw one Timothy Chalamet movie this week and I chose June. So we gave this one four stars. We did. I might go higher. I really love it. And yes, four stars then for the French Dispatch. And that means there's only one film left to talk about this week and that it is, of course, The Harder They Fall. <laughs> <laughs> which is out in cinemas this week and is out on Netflix in two weeks' time. We'll probably talk about it in detail then, Amon, because um, I think only you and I have seen it. But yeah. I know this is one of your films of the year, if not your film of the year, right? One of my films of the year. Uh, I really liked it. Just to set up a little bit, uh, it stars Idris Elba as a villainous outlaw named Rufus Buck. Uh, when his gangs bring him from prison, another gang led by uh, Nat Love, played by Jonathan Majors, a.k.a. Kang the Conqueror, uh, they <laughs> assemble to take him down. And yeah, I, I really loved this film. It's directed by James Samuel. Uh, he did not only directed it, he produced it. Uh, he did the score for it. He, he yeah, did everything basically for it. And uh, he is incredible. Um, the, the music is, especially is one of the freshest elements he brings to uh, this genre of the Western. It's very reggae infused. It's got tracks like um, Let's Start by Fela Kuti. It's got Barrington Levy's Here I Come, which is the track which is used for the first trailer of the film, which um, James Samuel remixed himself. And then the cast, the ensemble is just incredible. You've got just LB, you've got Jonathan Majors, you've got Regina King, you've got Lakeith Stanford, you've got Zazie Beats, you've got Delroy Lindo. All of them have just charisma to spare and just the swagger of this film from the cast to the costume to the music. I could go on, but it's great. <laughs> uh, we gave it four stars. It is fantastic. Uh, yeah. It is really, really good. Uh, startling. This is ostensibly his debut. Yes. Uh, I can't wait to see what he does next. But we'll get into that in more detail in two weeks' time. But uh, what we'll say is 
if you fancy going to see it this weekend on a big screen, then go see it this weekend on the big screen. You will not be disappointed. Yeah, great performances across the board and one of the most stylish debuts uh, of recent times. Four stars then for The Harder They Fall. And that's it, as far as I can tell, for the review <laughs> section. <laughs> How Let's see you? anything else we could talk about. Uh, all right. Okay. Let's talk about it. Um, I don't even know who I want to set it up because I know if I asked James to set this up, this is why he wasn't allowed to interview Denny Villeneuve. It's why he wasn't allowed to interview Rebecca Ferguson. James, can you set up in literally a minute, June? Okay. Space. The final frontier. I'm going to time you. I'm no. time you. Okay, so, so in the future, there is a thing called Spice. It is very, very, very important. It's the most valuable substance in the universe because it enables interstellar travel. Without Spice... Everyone is grounded. That is bad. So, House Harkonnen, which runs Arrakis, which is the planet, the only place in the universe where Spice is created, is Convenient. leaving as custodians of that planet. And House Atreides, uh, with Leto Atreides, which is Oscar Isaac, who's head of the house, and his son Paul, Timothy Chalamet, uh, they are taking over stewardship of Arrakis and therefore Spice production for the Emperor. And shit gets real. <laughs> yeah. that, are you done that's it yeah. that's, that's it yeah. seconds. amazing there's yeah. no need for me to give you commentary in native Fremen or anything like that that's basically the setup why can't we all follow his example yeah. honestly there you go that keeps all it nice right. and simple the question I want to ask Chris and more than anything else is what did you think of Dune tell us tell us tell us okay I'm not entirely on the five star page with it uh, I out. have I have, oh, no. I'm also I do, not entirely on the five star page I, I do have I Both do have get out. some <laughs> issues that we will get into in into our spoiler special because yes we are doing a spoiler special and yes Helen did speak to Denny Villeneuve earlier in the week for it and hopefully I haven't deleted the interview and uh, it's it's all good it's all good I thought it was stunning yes uh, I thought it was cinematographically uh, a work of art yep uh, I have even though I'm a huge David Lynch fan I have never seen the David Lynch Dune until yeah. recently <laughs> so I went back and I watched the David Lynch film and I actually was stunned to see how similar the two are in terms of plot. Like everything that's in the Denny Villeneuve movie is in the David Lynch movie. Much. In the around. Denny Villeneuve movie, it's slower. Uh, so it takes a little bit more time. But it's sumptuous and you get more character beats. But, you know, there are some issues I have with things like the pacing. There are some issues I have with the the climax of the film, which could be seen as anticlimactic, maybe, because obviously, you know, as we all know, we talked about this in the podcast before, it's now June part one, it's that's the title card, it's mm. half a film, uh, and they're trying to leave a midpoint to set, uh, set it up for June part two, which they haven't had the green light for yet. So the idea is that you'll be left wanting more. And I was left wanting more, which is a good thing. I think, uh, I think it's... Um, as I say, officially stunning, great performances. Uh, it felt, because I didn't know the story that well, and it's interesting because there's a little bit of John Carter syndrome, a little bit of John Carter syndrome, in that you are seeing the thing that inspired the thing Other things. after yeah. you <laughs> saw the thing that it inspired, yeah. which then became the kind of the lodestone for movie sci-fi. So there's an awful lot of Star Wars yeah. in June and Paul Atreides. There's a lot of this Luke Skywalker and Paul Atreides, for example. But... I think a little bit like John Carter, which was you know, much maligned, it manages to plow its own furrow successfully enough that you don't mind that. You don't mind the overlap mm. necessarily. I think the characters are compelling enough. It's weird and freaky enough. There's <laughs> enough spectacle. I've seen a criticism of its lack of humor 
I get that to an extent, but I also thought it it earns its seriousness. It earns yeah. the, it, it earns the tone. I think it's important to take itself seriously. Yeah. As yes, well. I mean, but but it it is a fair comment because literally both jokes are in the trailer. Yeah, and they're both and Momoa. Yeah, and that's pretty much yeah. all you get. Yeah. But Momoa is great. Momoa, yeah, yeah, yeah Duncan he Idaho. He brings a lightness yeah. and touch to that character, which but is he lovely. brings a, a vitality to it, which is interesting because because um, Chalamet is is really good. As Paul Atreides, but he is a little bit passive and a little bit reactive, especially in the first half of the movie. Because well, he's a kid. Yeah. He's a yeah. kid, and you're watching all these more vibrant adult characters like Josh Brolin as as Gurney Halleck, or you know Duncan Idaho, the affirmation Duncan Idaho, or freaky deaky characters like Charlotte Rampling as the Reverend Mother, who is this Bene Gesserit super witch mm. who can do these incredible things and. Uh, you know, it's it it draws you it draws you inexorably into its world. I thought, and uh, I just have problems not with the length, but with the pacing. And like I say, you know, the it, it doesn't quite end where I would have ended it. But then, hey, I'm not Denny Villeneuve. But then that's an interesting point you make. So I remember Denny Villeneuve saying very early on, you know, there's an obvious place. You know, there was an obvious leaving up, and I was like. Is there like I've read the book numerous times and I can't think of one. <laughs> I, I I I thought it was pretty obvious because there's a. I mean, no big spoilers. There's a two-year gap shortly after this. Sure, so, sure. But not at this exact point, though. No, not at this exact um, point. So anyway, this is something I've talked to him about for the spoiler special. So do listen <laughs> out to that if you'd like to know more about why the film ends exactly where it does. And it I do sentence. think it's a fair... Mm-hmm. I do think it's a fair issue that... Like, I did... The first time I watched it, I've obviously watched it more than once now. Um, I did think it, it is a tricky bit of pacing because the big action sequence comes before the end. And then there is a certain amount of shifting of people around and and fleeing of people mm. to a new status quo um that has to happen before the film ends so how exactly do you do that without it feeling a little bit flatter or smaller as a result and i think it just about does actually manage that but there is a definite gear shift there that does it doesn't feel usual or normal but i still just loved it i think it's very faithful to the book it's not slavishly so it does cut out a lot of but stuff this this is the masterstroke isn't it that he's looked through that and he's thought basically all the shit that i love all that arcane incredibly detailed stuff that in no way adds to the overall plot he's just dropped it and some of it's there if you look for it but he doesn't dwell on it he doesn't explain it it's not necessary so he's streamlined it to the point that he's made it accessible and that was my big worry with this that i'd love it and that no one else would know what was going on yeah. but he's made it really accessible and i think you know you can't you can't overstate that to that point, um, I came into this as a June noob. I had not uh, watched the David Lynch film. I had not read any of the books, and I did find it mostly accessible. So I enjoyed that, and I completely agree with you know, what what you're saying, Chris. The filmmaking here. See this on an IMAX screen if you can, because oh, God, yeah. I was just blown it's away. It's beautiful. It's so immersive. Not only just the visuals, but Hands in a score as well, which yeah. is just you know space bagpipes. <laughs> yeah, it has space bagpipes. I cannot emphasize that enough. Yes, and the characters are so winning that you you know love them, even though you don't spend that much time with them. You don't have that many scenes with them. Jason Momoa's character, Duncan Idaho, great character name by the way. Um, you know, it's just a perfect example of that. My only sort of main issue is just the the men of representation of it all, which hasn't really been discussed that much. Um, but as I understand it, the Fremen. Um, are very sort of, you know, influenced by Middle East. Um, yeah, African, the uh, North African, yes, Ber- yeah. Berber culture yeah. as well. And opportunities on a scale like this don't come around uh, very often. Uh, so when they do, it's a great opportunity to cast Middle Eastern and 
North African actors uh, in this film. And I just, it's a shame that this film didn't take that opportunity to do that. I hope that Denis Villeneuve sort of notices this and maybe makes some changes to the second part. Uh, now, we, I mean, I hope that he gets to make it because whilst, yes, you know, there's a, there's a cutting point here and it's, and in some ways, anticlimactic, the film is so good as a whole that I want to see what happens next. So I hope he gets to make uh, the second part of the story. It's, I mean, it, it's my film of the year. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I mean, then, really? but then it shocked. was before I even saw it. But, <laughs> yeah. look, it it's, I think it's magnificent. I think it is a huge operatic space monstrosity with an art house sensibility like it's it's really deliberate and it's stunning and there are moments where it's just it's quite languid but not in a way that gets boring it just sort of it revels in the world and the atmosphere and the characters and it's i yeah i i, I was so immersed in that as you said like the sandworm stuff like that that's something that the majesty when you first see the sandworm is it's it's oh it's extraordinary yeah this i found this whole experience kind of transportational my biggest worry from this is that i was thought i thought i love this film i think it's a masterpiece i think it's a nailed on five star film it is not on any level commercial and i worried desperately that it would get enough eyeballs in front of it to get a second part and it desperately needs a second part it's done quite well in the territories that it's been released in so that's really heartening but if you could all buy 10 maybe 20 tickets each that would really help (laughs) me out because i need part two that's all i'm saying yeah i'm i'm just i'm so pleased i'm like james i've been in the tank for this since pretty much day one but just to see, you know, the care and attention everybody paid on set. I know everybody does on all films. You know, we mm. we we've all been on set visits, and yeah. they they slave over the tiniest detail, and you never get to appreciate it on screen. But the level of detail in this, the gomja bar, which not to beat around the bush, is a large needle. Mm-hmm. It is finely carved and etched along its whole length, and was just one of the most beautiful created objects I've ever, you know, been able to pick up and play with. And and you know, and to, <laughs> so like it comes across on screen. And that that what the film does is to give texture to everything. It's it finds time to give texture to those little details, as well as giving you these big epic landscapes and these crazy giant ships and interstellar travel and other worlds. And alien cultures, not aliens in the sense of little green men, but alien to us cultures. I just think it's brilliantly done. I loved it. Um, what we're saying, uh, essentially, people, uh, to quote Spice Girls, is people of the world, spice up your life. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yes. As this in so many fair. things, yeah. the, the Spice Girls were right. You know? I need some love like I've never needed love before. <laughs> Gonna make love to you. Baby. Oh my god! Oh god! You just looked at Did you just, did you just oh feel no. the chemistry? Did you feel the chemistry? I felt the chemistry. I felt an urge to run. I think I need to bring this podcast to an end. Oh uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say one last quick thing about June. I thought the um, you may feel from what you guys said that nothing happens in this film, which is not true. It is no, packed with spectacle. Happens. It is packed with incident mm-hmm. as well, and, and because intrigue. intrigue, but big action scenes as well. And because I hadn't read the Frank Herbert book, there were moments when I was like. I knew something was going to happen to certain characters because you two fuckers can't shut up. But <laughs> there were other moments where I didn't know what was going to happen and I found myself genuinely tense. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is terrific. It's it's probably in my top 10 of the year, um, but I, I'm not quite as in the tank for it as these two guys, mainly because it wasn't produced by Kevin Feige. Anyway. <laughs> well, no, speaking stars. of that, it's a good job that uh, obviously Mahershala Ali's debut in the MCU has been delayed because... Only oh, the no. slow blade enters the shield. Oh, yeah. He went there. Yeah. Yeah. I did. 
Well, I think that's the moment in which we should end this podcast. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, five stars then for June. Oh, except we're not going to end the podcast, are we? Because we have one more guest to come. Uh, because also out this week is The Boss Baby 2 Family Business, which is a film that is also out this week. And one of the stars of that movie is James Marsden. We love James Marsden. We do. Yes, we we do. love him. He's in so many great things. Corny he Collins was in, oh, in my, Hairspray. He's in Enchanted. He's in Enchanted. He's in Hairspray. Cyclops. He was Cyclops. Oh, Justice for Cyclops, uh, which Indeed. he kind of got after a fashion he is in Anchorman 2 The Legend Continues he was recently seen in The Stand as Stu Redman he was in Westworld he's here Sonic. there and er, Sonic the yeah. Hedgehog he's here there and everywhere uh, and I had a chance to sit down and talk with him when was it yesterday I think it might have been even yesterday on Zoom and we had a good old chat now I will say towards the end of this uh, I did show him a an illustration <laughs> of what Cyclops would look like if he had a Pfizer that made it look a Pfizer shaped like a bum, essentially. So, because Gail Simone, the brilliant comic book writer, speculated on Twitter, said, hey, what would it look like if Cyclops uh, had a mask that looked like uh, a bum and then it looked like his heat ray, his heat ray which is, again, trolling on her part, uh, was coming out of his dumper. And so someone then very quickly drew that. And so I showed that to James Marsden and his reaction can be contained within. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of the Boss Baby 2 family business, Mr. James Marsden. How the devil are you, sir? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Can't complain. I, I have to say, you are a slippery customer. <laughs> you weren't the first person to ever call me that. <laughs> it must be true. <laughs> I, I saw, I saw what's your, de- what's your definition of that? <laughs> I mean, I mean, that is hard to define you. It's hard to because you like to zigzag as an actor. You know, it's whether yeah. you're, you're doing a superhero movie one then one minute, then the next minute you're doing a musical, then you're doing a comedy, then you're doing a really hard hitting TV drama, and the last year alone, and this movie is evidence of that because you did The Stand and Boss Baby 2 round about the same time. Now that, I would say, is range. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, it just, it's, it, I wish I could say that this is all very carefully calculated, and, uh, <laughs> but it really is just me taking whatever they'll give me. Um, <laughs> no, I actually... Yeah, I guess for me, it's like if I if I do something like The Stand, right, a Stephen King, you know, horror movie about the world ending, you know, based yeah. from a from a virus uh, eerie that we were filming that when we finished it up right when COVID hit. I, I always want to do something just completely different after I'm, I'm after whatever I just finished. So um, with whatever comes my way, as far as uh, job opportunities, I always try and mix it up a little bit. It's, I guess it's this sort of like career long uh, experiment of trying to figure out what I, what I do best <laughs> or what excites me the most. I don't know. Uh, but I do, I do love comedy, but um, yeah, I kind of jump all over the place. And, and I think I've, I'm, it's been good because this industry has afforded me opportunities um, in all of those different genres, but I also feel like I just confuse people. <laughs> the indefinable James Marsden is that yes, basically yes, yeah. but that's yes. great because it means you don't get typecast yeah that's it I think it's I'm trying to secure longevity uh, <laughs> right in this in this in this business that's quick to just uh, forget about you um, yeah it's nice I mean I think that's kind of one of the joys of being an actor right it's like yeah. you, you, it, you don't want to just play the same thing over and over again 
and and comedy uh you're you're quite right to point out is that is that something you knew from the off uh one of the times we spoke before i was on set of anchorman 2 and uh, and you were on there as, as jack lime it was a oh, yeah. big big day in that sort of cnn building in, in atlanta and yeah you know you and the you know will and steve and and and, and paul and and keckner they're all being thrown yeah. alts relentless alts by adam mckay and i was so impressed with just the way that you guys would just take it all and think in your feet and roll with the punches. Right. Well, I think because, you know, I felt a little guilty about that. I, I love doing it that way because Adam McKay will sit behind the monitor and just, like you said, throw these alt lines at you. And the challenge is not delivering them believably or making the joke land because they're just these brilliant alts that you would never think of. It's actually just keeping a straight face once he throws it out to you because you're just completely off guard and unready for it. Um, but I felt guilty because it's it's not you're just a conduit, right? Like you're there with the camera on you. And then Adam's like, say this, say this, call him this, do this. You know, it's just like it's not even anything that you created. Right. And you just have to kind of deliver it straight face. It's <laughs> it's all the brilliance of Adam McKay. But I, I just enjoy that so much, and especially being on that set with those guys. And I, one thing I learned about those guys is like a lot of people think with improv, it's about whoever's who can come up with the funniest line like on the fly. No, no. Those guys know how to set each other up. It's a very generous thing where they're together and Will will say something like he'll tee it up for Steve and then Steve will knock it out. You know, they kind of they play off of each other. It's a very generous way of improving. Anyway, I love love comedy. You go home at the end of the day with a big smile on your face, having just re- you know realized that like I'm, you know, they're paying me to do this. This is just a party. Was the experience of of working on Boss Baby Two was that a little bit similar to something like an Anchorman, where I imagine it's you in a booth. You're probably just in a dressing gown, and, and uh, I, don't, I don't mean I don't mean like you if know, that, if yeah, that, if, if uh, that, if yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> right, right. And you're and you're doing alt after alt after alt. Yeah, you, it is very similar that way. And Tom McGrath, um, who directed this, is also a brilliant voice actor himself. He voices yeah. the uh, the skipper in the Penguins of Madagascar. Um, so he's he's no stranger to comedy and to you know doing things on the fly. And and he would always encourage me to kind of you know once we we did it as scripted, just kind of play with it. And you know you because it's just voiceover work. You're in the room, and you, sometimes you're there for six hours but it's just you and the microphone and like whatever you can create, whatever you come up with. And if it sucks, they just won't use it. Um, and if it's great, you know, it's their idea. <laughs> but, but most of the time it would be like Tom, like, like Adam McKay did it's like throwing lines out at you, try this, say this. And then they kind of sculpt it along the way. And yeah. So there, there are times where you feel like you've got some rhythm and times where you really just focused on one line over and over and over again, doing it 20 different ways. And, you just kind of get used to that process, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, um, it was, you know, it was a little, it was a lot of like just me and Tom goofing around and, and playing with the script a bit. Making movies is all about trust in the director, but I can imagine it's sure. doubly so with animation. It's like, okay, this is, you're, you're, you're promising me this is going to look good, right? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, because you have to be bold enough to fail, right? You yeah. have to, you have to, especially with voiceover work, you have to try stuff that just doesn't, flat out doesn't work that's but that's where you in that sort of mining process is where you come up with where you find the good ideas you can come in with your ideas of what what you think you want it to sound like and 
you know, oh, this would be fun to kind of throw this line in there or what if this happens? And, and McGrath is always great about like, yeah, let's explore that, you know, but you're right because it is about surrounding yourself with people, the creative people who are making the decisions with the edit, right. That yeah. They're going to have the time. <laughs> they're going to put the time in it to really go and go through all my takes and kind of assemble this performance. And you want to make sure, and this goes for anything as an actor that you're a part of, that you're in good hands. Because what you do on the day is one thing. How it ends up cut, cut into the movie is a completely different thing sometimes, you know. Mm -hmm. And if you're, you know, if you're Daniel Day-Lewis, they don't really mess with it too much. But uh, I ain't him. And they're going to be like, <laughs> I'm going to take Marsden's first line from this take and his, you know, second line from the take 38 over here and we'll, we'll manage to string it together and make it work somehow we're, we're going to auto-tune it so it all sounds like it's from the same yeah exactly same exactly i'd be funny an auto-tuned voiceover artist but listen listen daniel day lewis doing voiceovers that would be horrendous can you imagine him in boss baby uh, 2 i mean somehow i feel like it would be captivating maybe it wouldn't but maybe uh i i, I kind of feel like i would love to hear you know, the, the path not taken. I'd love to hear Goldblum's role with like 10 different actors, just same script, same dialogue, and just hear how, you know, this yeah. is uh, this, this spectrum of different performances would be interesting. And you could never do that on a film set because they wouldn't have the money or the time to do it. But with voiceover, it'd be interesting. They can absolutely do it. But what, what, what I mean, I'm, I'm not denigrating Daniel Day-Lewis, of course, in any way, shape or form. He's one of the greatest actors of all time. What I mean is he would go full method and he would actually try and become seven years old again. And that would be a nightmare. <laughs> right. That's true. Yes. I was picturing him as the Goldblum character. But yes, if he's uh, going going to be a perpetual child and <laughs> but yeah, that'd be an interesting thing to see how he gets into character method wise yeah. for voiceover work. Or if he plays Ted, he's going to be in a giant pram, and it's just it's it's going to be yeah. a whole thing. And yeah, yeah that would be uh, maybe. I wonder if he's done any voiceover work. But Goldblum was so great because one thing I find myself doing with voiceover work is because you only have that one instrument, your voice. Is I feel like I push too hard sometimes, and like you feel like it's going to be too boring if you don't shout it or scream it or like you know blah, 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 do this with your voice. Um, Goldblum went in and just was like, here's how I speak. This is what I talk like. And this is how the villain's going to speak. And even in the most <laughs> dire circumstances, uh, uh, the most, you know, <laughs> terrible, terrible things start happening. Uh, you know, the sky is falling and his, my master plan is being thwarted. I'm still only never taking my, my voice out of this register, you know, <laughs> and it works in the movie. Like that's primo Goldblum. That is well, primo well, no, Goldblum. Was a, that was a, a lame attempt. No, it was good. Goldblum, it was good. But it's amazing at the end of Boss Baby when everything's falling apart and he's running and jumping and they're they're pinning him to the wall and throwing things at him. It's you know it's written that he's screaming like you know at the top of his lungs that his plan's falling apart. He's supposed to be maniacal and he's just going ah ah stop that stop it stop. <laughs> and somehow if I did that, I'd be like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but for some reason, when Jeff Goldblum does it, it just works. But obviously, in in this movie, you uh, Tim was voiced by Tobey Maguire in the right. previous Boss Baby movie. Uh, yeah, I, I don't do a good Tobey Maguire. <laughs> it, 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 it needs work. It needs work. But... <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I'd just give up on it and do my own thing. <laughs> but here's my here's my thing. I was wondering if there were opportunities down the line for you to 
further replace Tobey Maguire in sequels to movies that he has done previously, would you be up for it? If someone said to you, hey, the greater Gatsby, are you in? <laughs> the Ice Storm too. <laughs> even stormier. Yes, even stormier. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man 12. Um, yeah. I don't know. It might, it might, that might, that, that endeavor might start to look pathological if I, <laughs> <laughs> if I did. I was like, so James, another uh, Tobey Maguire replacement movie, huh? No, you, you're, uh, we're starting to see a common denominator here. Uh, <laughs> any reason why you've taken this career path? <laughs> I'm, just a huge, I'm just a huge fan. And I just thought like he didn't, he left a lot out there on the table and, uh, um, or, and uh, I thought uh, he, he wasn't interested in continuing, so I'd pick up where he left off. <laughs> yeah, I think Toby was just in the first movie just for the, like, the little opening VO and it's just the little tail end of it. So it wasn't like, um, it didn't feel like a replacement thing. It just felt like, oh, we're going to feature this guy now. And I'm sure he was probably busy. <laughs> with, he, with trying to figure out what the plot of Ice Storm 2 would be. Absolutely. Like, why, why would another huge Ice Storm hit that place at the same time? It doesn't make any right, sense. Right. Why is Seabiscuit now a giant? Ang direct that? It is so. Ang Lee. It, it, it absolutely okay, is. Yeah. Um, I've, got, I've, got to, I've got to run in a second, but this is a podcast. So how, how big is the screen? How big can you see me at the moment? Uh, you're about um, 12 by 6 inches. Okay. Uh, so, sort of all right. I've, I've, horizontally, yeah. This may not work, but I've got a visual aid, and I promise my people, my people, I promise my followers on Twitter I would ask you this. Okay, so there is a, uh, there is a comic book writer called Gail Simone who recently tweeted, if Cyclops wore a mask that looked like a butt... It would look like heat vision was coming out of his dumper, and uh, and, with, and within seconds, within seconds, because Twitter is Twitter, someone drew what this would look like, and I'm going to try and hold it up for you now, James Marsden. This is what Cyclops would look like. Can you see that at all? Can you see that at all? That is what Cyclops would look like if his wow. mask looked like a butt. So I'm saying, are you in? Or are you out for this movie? I'm uh, I'm I'm shameless. Uh, I'm in need of work. I know it doesn't seem like it, but I am. So uh, I'm dying to put the costume back on. So if if it uh, if if it, if it, if it requires me to sell my soul a little bit, but, uh, sure, whatever, whatever it takes to get that costume back on. No, I just keep thinking like what and what what was the situation or the moment that led to that person conceiving of that idea. How do we figure out a way to make this beam turn into something that comes out of a butt? (laughs) (laughs) That is what I call a Wednesday, but maybe one day we'll find out. That's pretty crazy. And then, of course, yes, Twitter just immediately. Twitter, yeah, they went for it. Manifested it in, in an art form there. They went for it. Uh, well, my people will call your people, but James Marston, yeah, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure. It's time we bring some real dignity to the character. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's make this happen. Cyclops firing right. beams out of his butt. Make it happen. Uh, it's been a pleasure, yeah. sir. Thanks very much indeed for your yeah, time. Yeah, man. Thanks for the chat. Cheers. And that was James Marsden. And that is it for another bumper jam-packed edition of the Empire Podcast. And join us next week for more film-related fun when, by Christ, I've done it again. I've overbooked <laughs> guests. What, oh, no. what am I doing? Well, we'll be joined by... 
Jonathan Majors, Kang the Conqueror himself and star of The Harder They Fall. We will be joined by Edgar Wright and Christy Wilson-Cairns, the director and co-writers of Last Night in Soho, which finally comes out next week. We may be joined by Jesse Plemons and Carrie Russell, star of the new horror film Antlers. And we will be joined by... (laughs) I know. I know. I know. I, I, I say, I go, like, <laughs> hey, I don't, expect, no. I don't expect that everyone's going to say yes. And then everyone says yes. And then we're in this situation. But anyway, we'll be joined by, and I can't believe I'm about to say these words, Huey Lewis. Huey wow. motherfucking Lewis will be on the podcast uh, this week. Reading Helen, the news. Reading, reading the news. The news. Yeah. Um, Helen's going to talk to him tomorrow because I am going on a set visit. Uh, <gasps> I'm very excited about mm. this. Uh, Helen, well, I was going to ask him about his penis and, and Robert Altman's shortcuts. Yeah, I'm not, not going to do that. No. Yeah, yeah, I didn't totally think he would. I didn't think he would. But uh, but anyway, there you go. The power of love uh, will bring Huey Lewis on the next week's podcast. Anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such a lethal cunning, Batman enthusiast and Mon Mormon. <laughs> Peace. Geek Queen Helen O'Hara. Fear is the mind killer. Oh, not Toodaloo this week. No. June has changed you as a person. All right. Uh, and it's goodbye from great big fucking Arab James Dyer it is the little death that brings total <laughs> obliteration book your tickets for June immediately not <laughs> 10 not 20 100 tickets please fund Denny Villeneuve not the same now. little death that is no, a reference def- to orgasms different one different, yes. different, yes. different little death different yep. little death yes. alright okay uh, and it's goodbye from me I'm off to see what this love heart says uh, it says for you <laughs> so I can <laughs> <laughs> I presume Bane is a big fan of love hearts. Love heart would be very painful for you. Uh, anyway, I am off to audition for Dear Evan Hansen in the West End. I think I've got a good shot, although I might be too young for the lead role. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I'm so sorry about everything. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. <laughs>